187 on a mother. Oh, can't say that, can we now, Holman? Nope. That uh, is a different 187 than this one. <laughs> Episode number 187 of the Truck Show Podcast. I'm Lightning. He is Holman. We're proud to be back with you. <laughs> Although I can tell you right now, I'm about ready to 187 on some mofos on an airplane. Yeah. Oh, man. You oh. have been traveling more than anyone I know. Dude, and your, uh, your Delta Sky Miles have been, they got to be racking up. Can I show you what they what they are? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know that I would know a high number, uh, so you're going to have to explain it to okay. me. Okay. All right. This is not my lifetime miles. This is just the miles I haven't used that I could spend on flying. Okay. Wait, before you show that to okay. me, what would it take me to uh, to fly to Hawaii? How many miles? Uh, 40,000. Oh, really? That's all? Maybe something like that. Okay. And Holman has... Whoa! <laughs> 567,248 <laughs> miles. Damn. Yeah. So you could go around the world a few times. A few times in uh, first class in style, probably. Holy mackerel. Now, yeah. I, I know that you lost your last Delta Status Award or no. whatever it was. No, I did not. The CEO of Delta just sent out an email this week, right as I was lamenting my status falling away, saying, we love our uh, customers. Uh-huh. We have given you another year till 2023 to earn your status back. Oh really? So I am still read that. What, what what's under my name there, right there, sir? Uh, well, you keep getting I text know. messages. Swipe there that you. up, there right? You go. Oh damn, platinum medallion. Yes, sir. Oh, is that the highest, or is there no, a diamond? No, there's diamond. Okay, yeah, you're baller at diamond. Okay, it takes a lot. That's, that's what you're. A lot. You're living on the plane. You're almost a pilot yeah, at that yeah. point, right? You, you know the flight crew. So. Congratulations on your platinum status. Hey, thanks. Uh, that's you usually what they have say a, when I walk through the gate. I was going to say, you almost have a platinum status here on the Truck Show Podcast with uh, 187 shows plus SEMA uh, bonuses under your belt. God, is that... That's a lot. It's a lot of freaking shows. We're nearing 200. I'm going to be pretty pumped to pass 200. What I would like from you guys, if you uh, are a longtime listener and you've been with us for 180 plus episodes, a five-star review. Would that be too much to ask? I think we're coming to you live and free. So I guess we're not live, but we are free, right? Uh, I mean, we're, we're a little f- tape delayed. But we're not free. We are free. No. How are we not free? Because uh, we cost them their time. No, they're, Yes, they're giving us their time. Oh, okay. So can I tell you about my recent flying experiences? If you have to, yeah. I mean, we're just talking about flying. I, I, I fly Delta. I love Delta. They take good care of me. I get upgrades all the time to first class. I will say this for the record. Yeah. I was spouting off about how I thought American was great yep. for quite some time. And and Holman says, we're going to go it fly. used to be great. We're going to go fly to Decked, and I'm flying Delta. Fly whatever you want. Yep. And I said, well, I don't want to be on separate flights. It's dumb. So I'll fly Delta too. And at that moment, I realized I've been I've been a moron. I'm I'm now switching to Delta. Better customer and, service, and more I comfortable have, seats. Dude, I've flown I've flown Delta every trip since then. Yep, yep, they're awesome. Uh, except for right now, the uh, dregs of society have returned to the airport. Well, that's that's not a Delta thing. That's an airport that's just, thing. No, I know. I'm not saying that's Delta's fault. Uh, my last several trips, I've had nothing but weirdos and problems. Hmm. Uh, there was a girl sitting next to me who, as we were landing, within a minute of touching the ground, flaps down, landing gear down, walks right past the flight attendants and into the lavatory, was sitting on the can while the plane touched down. Okay. I'm like, you bad, can't- It's a bad plan. can't do that, but she did. Yeah. Uh, there was the uh, celebrity that got kicked off my flight. I got a first class upgrade and- uh, was sharing the first row with a certain celebrity's wife. Okay. And uh, said, I think I have the uh, window seat here. And she said, oh, 
That's great. Um, my husband's sitting over in three. Uh, he's running late to the plane. Would you mind swapping with us so we could sit together? And I went, sure, I'll go take the window seat where I have a place to put my bag under the seat in front of me in first class. Sure. Uh, celebrity dude, I don't know who she is, and celebrity dude comes on the plane, looks at me in his seat, and gives me the look of I have roid rage. And then proceeds to berate his wife publicly on the plane about who the hell gave you the uh, the uh, uh, the permission to switch my seat out, and where am I going to put my bags? And just starts laying into her. Got to such a point of of words and uh, forcefulness that the captain had him removed from the flight. No way. And she flew all the way to LAX and got picked up by car service without him. So you saw her waiting at the curb, and got I on went a- to chase her down. Okay. To tell her, I you know, hope I, I'm sorry. You know, she's okay. Blah 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 blah. And a black car picked her up and whisked her away. Hmm. And I had posted that I usually do this hashtag pat the plane. Whenever I get on an airplane, I always pat the plane because it's got a 100% success rate of uh, me arriving in one piece. <laughs> and so I'll, I'll meet people who have been on flights with me before. The flight crew, they go, oh, I remember you. You pat the plane. And so I always do that wherever I am. Do you hashtag pat the plane? I do hashtag. If you look at hashtag pat the plane, you will, uh, you will find many of my hands on the side of aircraft. Uh, right. Okay. So that's just I'm a little su- su- uh, you know, superstitious. So I do this path the plane thing, and apparently, because uh, I always put the airport codes of which airport I'm going to, so LAX to Austin, for example, and I had a tabloid reach out, and they said, we heard there was a celebrity on your flight that was kicked out. Do you happen to have a photo? And oh, are you on that flight? Wait a minute. Don't tell me they offered you money for this. Twenty thousand dollars. What? <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. And you and you did it, and you and nope. you bought a new truck. Nope. What no, do you mean no? I did not take the money. What do you mean no? Why? Because what? Delta would count the seats and go, you're no longer a Sky Miles member for- uh, For $20,000? Dude, dude, listen. $20,000? Whatever their marital issues are- The guy are, was clearly display, an a-hole. Well, he is an a-hole. You, there's rumors in, about what an a-hole he is throughout the industry. But my whole thing is like, that's I'm not, I'm not down with exploiting other people's misfortune. That sucks. I would hope somebody wouldn't do that to me. So uh, you, know you what? sound so old right now. Do I sound old? Yeah, you sound old. Yeah, if, you, well. if this was the Holman I knew in in 1982, <laughs> you would have totally done that. <laughs> that would been a lot of money. Grand. That would have been a lot of money for a four year old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, um, dude. Yeah, uh, really. Yeah, I tw- I said no. Did they say twenty thousand dollars? Did they say a number? They actually said a number. Yeah. What? They're like, were you on this flight? We're trying to track down passengers or on this flight. I said, yes, I was on that flight. Can you confirm there was a celebrity incident? I said, yep, I was sitting right behind them. Well, do you happen to have pictures? And I said, why? They said, well, we're, we're looking to pay this much for a picture that clearly shows the face of this particular person. And I had one because I did at the time I didn't know who he was. And I sent a picture to my wife going, look at this hail. I can throw it off my plane, right? And I looked at him like, oh, oh, because everybody has masks on and stuff. You don't know. Right. And then I was like, oh, well, that's, yeah. So was anyway. he wearing a mask? Uh, not when he got kicked off. Truckshowpodcast at <laughs> gmail.com if you would have sold the photo. <laughs> yeah. Tr- if you knew that, if you found out that he was an a-hole. Yeah. Truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, think about what it, would he's got a wife done? and kids, though. So what? He's an a-hole. I know, but I don't want them to have to be at the brunt of that. They that's already know he's an a-hole. Well, that's true. But and everyone, that's... the dude, the tabloid is going to get pictures, and they're going to print the story with yeah, or without a photo. That's just not me. Should have been you. Not me. Uh, how about if I would have split it with you? Wait, how do I get half <laughs> and then definitely not doing it? All right, what do we have on uh, this episode number 187 of the Truck Show Podcast? Uh, we got a couple good guests today. Uh, we've got um, Peter Tridy, our friend from SEMA, to talk about the emissions issues. I mm-hmm. know there was a big stink a couple weeks ago 
about California now sniffing through your ECU during uh, smogging. And so he's going to explain uh, to us what's going on there. A lot of people are fired up and uh, hot under the collar over this. And then we have got Josh Robinson, who uh, is an interesting fellow we met through our friends over at Duralast. And uh, he is um, an Australian who is currently shoving a V12 in a Datsun 510 Ute in Australia, <laughs> uh, but uh, runs a drifting school in Texas. There's, Guys, so, it's just, there's a lot to unpack there, there. There's so much that's so wrong and so much that's so right. It's so just awesome. Yes. And you know how we love Australians here. Yeah, we get as much uh, Aussie as we can on this show. Is that true? Uh-huh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we do, don't we? I didn't think of it that way, but wow. sure. We try to Aussie it up as much as possible. All right. Well, you know what else we try to uh, do on the show? And that is uh, thank our sponsors before we uh, get into the content. And that's because our sponsors uh, give us the ability to uh, put out a free show for you guys each and every week for uh, years now. Well, look, so we know that the new Frontier is about to hit uh, Nissan dealerships in September, correct? Yep, early September. And you had a chance to drive it. We aired that in the last episode. You're a big fan. Huge fan. I can't wait to get in one. I think we're going to at some point get a loaner, correct, to to, to, to take a spin? Absolutely. Okay. And it's got that 10-speaker audio system. It's got the nine-speed transmission. It's got... uh, that's the class horsepower. How about yeah. 310 horsepower? Listen, go to uh, NissanUSA.com. Check it out. It's uh, it's a pretty incredible little truck. It's just the truck you're hoping Nissan would release, and it's just the truck that they need. I think a lot of people are going to be really stoked on uh, on the new Frontier. It's not just some facelift. It's been completely overhauled head to toe. And it looks great. The interior is awesome. Tons of tech. Uh, if you want to find out more about it, listen to the uh, previous episode. But you can also go to NissanUSA.com and uh, read up on it. It's coming out soon, and if you're in the market for a bigger truck, Nissan has you covered there. Nissan Titan, Nissan Titan XD, most standard V8 horsepower in its class, and the industry's best five-year, 100,000-mile warranty. And while you're deciding which Nissan to buy, you've got to maintain that old bucket, right? So you need to go down to your local AutoZone and pick up the appropriate Duralash parts. Is that a uh, trade-in for the uh, new Nissan you're going to buy? <laughs> yes, okay, is. just checking. You're going to trade it in with Duralast parts. So the, uh, the yeah, Nissan if you want it running. Yeah, well, they're, they're coming up. All right, uh, Duralast offers starters and alternators that are triple tested at the component, subassembly, and finished unit level to ensure OE or better amperage and torque output. All wear components are replaced with new parts wherever the original no longer meets OE performance. Uh, they're remanufactured by Tier 1 or OE manufacturers for OE or better performance levels versus rebuilt, which is just torn down, inspected, and clean. And if you want something new, the Duralast Gold Line offers 100% new units. You'll find the entire selection of starters and alternators at DuralastParts.com. And when you need to find yourself lost, head over to uh, onyxmaps.com. <laughs> oh, you want to get yourself lost on purpose? I love getting lost on purpose. Okay. But I also like to know how, uh, how, how to get home. So, right, uh, so you need Onyx Maps. I rely on Onyx Maps. Onyxmaps.com, where you can pick it up at the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. Onyx Maps has over 550,000 miles of roads and trails, including road and trail open and closed dates, vehicle restrictions, as well as featured trails. 985 million acres of public land across the U.S. You can see your current location on the map, even without service. You can get the Onyx for $29.99 a year for the entire country. Hey, guys, that's less than one tank of gas. And the Elite Level offers you all the trails and detailed maps, plus private land owner information for $99.99 a year for all 50 states. And if you want to try it out for free, it's a seven-day trial at onyxmaps.com, and they don't even ask you for your credit card. Onyx Maps is my go-to map source, A, because it caters directly to the off-roader, but because it works across all of your devices, whether it's your laptop, your tablet, your phone, Onyx Maps is my favorite mapping software. Well, before I head out on the trail and follow my Onyx map, I know that I'm going to beat just the living crap out of my shocks. They're not going to survive. So I turn to Holman, fill in the blank. 
Well, if you're me, you turn to uh, Bilstein Shocks, the company that invented monotubes back in 1955. Bilstein has full coverage for all of today's popular vehicles, including direct replacement, performance, leveling kits, all the way up to full custom race shocks. In fact, you can find Bilsteins from the factory on Nissan Titans, Frontiers, Ram TRX, and the new Ford Bronco. When manufacturers want the best, they choose Bilstein, and so do I. To see if they have a set of shocks for your truck, check out the massive catalog at Bilstein.com. The Truck Show. We're going to show you what we know. We're going to answer what the truck truck rides with the truck show we have the lifted we have the lowered and everything in between we'll talk about trucks that run on diesel and the ones that run on gasoline the truck show the truck show the truck show it's the truck show with your hosts lightning and holman Over there, let's get on with the show. Oh my God, what's wrong with you? <laughs> it's late. <laughs> well, this has uh, been a very hot topic issue. As soon as the, uh, the the word was out on social media, I think the world uh, erupted, at least uh, in the truck enthusiast and automotive enthusiast circles. And so we wanted to reach out to our good friend, Peter Tridey from SEMA, who uh, is uh, in charge of their, is I guess, their emissions uh, Their laboratory. Laboratory. Yeah, laboratory. Laboratory. Why do we have to lower <laughs> because our voices, Because it feels right? like a... It's on, wait, welcome wait. to my laboratory. Wait, wait, hold on. I'm going to try it again. You ready? Let me, yeah, let me yeah, just yeah, jack yeah. this up right here. Okay, go for it. Welcome yeah, to, to my, my laboratory. laboratory. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's too much echo. No, no, no. You don't like that? Or no, I don't like that at all. Uh, try it again. Welcome to my laboratory. No? No, a little bit. Nah, nah. Yeah, that's deep enough. Yeah. Oh, screw that. Welcome, Welcome to my emission laboratory. I don't like any of these. I don't like any of them either. These all blow. They all suck. Yeah. You know what? Uh, we should probably just talk to our guests instead of messing with the uh, the soundboard. Let's call Mr. Peter Tridey. Hello? Mr. Peter Tridey, Lightning Holman, Truck Show Podcast. Hey, hey. Who, who is this? <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? You know who it How's is. How's it going, guys? I haven't it's, talked in a while. I know it's been a minute. Hey, uh, we have a quick jingle to play, so don't move. So that, so that, so that happened. So that, so that, so that happened. There was a trend that went down. We look back, now we frown. Please don't happen again. So that happened. So that happened. So really, Peter, I think the the trend is that the government is sniffing your ECU for uh, errant files now. They don't want us to tune our cars and trucks in California anymore. What? What's well, they up never with that? wanted to. They're just adding another layer now. <laughs> Such a cynical view. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how else to look at the situation. So, Peter, for those who don't know, is at the SEMA Emissions Laboratory, and what they do is they help aftermarket parts companies develop emissions-compliant parts. They are the bridge between the manufacturers and the California Air Resource Board. Peter has extensive knowledge in emissions, of course, and I we're hoping that you Not can- always such a good thing. 
not well. I we think it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, it depends what kind of emissions. You're yeah, I was going to say <laughs> this room has plenty of emissions yeah, from well. two hot bags of air. Mm-hmm. And we just Don't had need some, an expert to figure that out. We just had <laughs> some uh, some Jimmy John's uh, sandwiches before this uh, episode, and it uh, yeah, so it's getting dank and, <laughs> and smelly. Yeah, there's no catalytic converter in this room. <laughs> no, there isn't. <laughs> Peter, what does this mean? Can you can you tell our audience? What transpired over the last uh, couple weeks in California here, uh, and, and what does it mean for the average road-going enthusiast? Break it down for us dum-dums who uh, did stupid things to our cars and now horribly regret it. <laughs> well, all right. Yeah, so there's a little bit uh, a little bit of background here. So July 19th was a big date. We, uh, we got word on the street uh, about a week before that, so probably around July 12th, 13th, something like that, that uh, come July 19th, that in the California Smog Check Program, uh, the Bureau of Automotive Repair, who is the, they're the agency that kind of facilitates the Smog Check Program, they would start to be analyzing the ECU and there would be some failures that would result from certain modifications to the ECU. Now, the real surprise was that this, this kind of came out of nowhere. We, there wasn't a whole lot of, of information about this prior to just that, that one week before. But um, there are some interesting facts that, uh, that are worth noting. First of all, the Bureau of Automotive Repair has actually had the authority to do um, this kind of a, of a check since 2013. Um, it's, been, it's been in legislation since then. So they've actually had the, the authority for a while. They're only now getting to the point of exercising that authority. Beyond that, starting in 2015, they have actually been reading the ECUs in all, of these, in all vehicles that go through smog check and creating a database. So they actually had already known prior to July 19th, they knew exactly what they were going to be looking for and which ECU modifications would result in failures. That's what the, the crowd's saying. Yeah, yeah, I heard them. Heard them loud and clear. So are you saying that we Californians voted this in? At some point, that happened. It Was it like We that- also voted for higher gas prices and to outlaw... Uh, bacon soon. So what, we're what, not very smart out here. Would you say bacon? Didn't you hear about that? You're joking, right? No. In two, uh, well, two weeks. So whenever this airs, about the time there will be a massive bacon shortage in California, and prices may uh, at, at least double as uh, the the new standards for uh, cruelty to animals or non cruelty, giving pigs that are going to be slaughtered enough room to stretch out and turn around in their cages. If you don't meet those standards, you can't import your pork to California. So we're about to have a huge bacon crisis on top of this. Peter, I know you're not in charge of the, the bacon lab, but I'm telling you, whoever your counterpart is over there, I'm talking to them next. Well, I hope someone's keeping an eye on that because we can't run out of bacon. If we run out of bacon, the, listen, it's guns and bacon. That's it. Those are the two things that are going to trigger something bad here. This is ridiculous. Are you looking it up? What are we doing to ourselves here? I know. Okay, well, let's let Peter continue. So in 15, they started collecting this data. Now, what are they collecting exactly? How do they compare a modified ECM in a, in a truck and a non-modified ECM? How do, they, sure. how, do, how do they have all the base files? Because you know for GM RAM, they're not giving up the base tune files. 
So, as a matter of fact, the OEMs do give that information to uh, to the uh, Bureau of Automotive Repair. Well, that's just and, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what we have is um, every You're vehicle. You're a lying sack of shit. <laughs> wow. I don't think Peter's a liar. I think he's no. trying to deliver the news. Oh, okay. I don't think we should beat the guy that's telling us what we need to know. <sighs> you get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. Just, well, I mean, if you get caught, yeah. Right. But, but you've been cheating for a while. So, so All right. every vehicle since 1996 has been equipped with an onboard diagnostic system. This is referred to as OBD2. With that system, that system was was actually mandated by the California Air Resources Board and by EPA. And the intent of the onboard diagnostic system is to read sensors on the vehicle to ensure that all of the emissions equipment that that vehicle came equipped with is functioning properly. It's kind of like a rolling emission station. So the onboard diagnostic system has capabilities to report certain things. So what's been happening is since 2015, uh, during during the smog check, the technician will plug the um, uh, their system into your vehicle and read information off of the OBD system. And within that information, there's a few different things that are um, that, that they're able to to record and note. A couple of things that will identify the files that are in the vehicle. So one of those is called the Cal ID. The Cal ID is kind of like the file name. Uh, then the other thing that they can read is what's called the CVN. The CVN is kind of like a checksum. So it, it kind of evaluates uh, between those two things. You can really identify how that ECU is programmed. And when you have information from the OEMs and when you build a big enough database, you can start to know pretty easily which which Cal IDs and which CVNs are legal and which ones are not. So over the course of the last six years or so, the um, smock check program has been building this database. Well, that sucks. Just I don't know what to say. <laughs> I mean, now wh- what are they going to do with this data now that they have it? They're going to fail you, Lightning, no, and then you have to be kicked no, out of your no, house. Hold and on, let's let's. Look, what are the real? Fine you. Oh, let's steal your car. I I have a, a take out your family. I got a I got a truck that is modified, and whoever tuned it didn't give me the original tune file back, or I threw the little handheld away. Right and now, I can't put it back. So the, now well, I go and get my truck. Smogged. They, they said no. We don't recognize this file. And then you we got to, the to the referee, and the referee says, "If you put it back to stock, we, we'll pass you." And you're like, "I don't even know how to do that." So there is some good news. And oh, that thank is, you, thank you. <laughs> we can we can brighten the uh, situation just a little bit here. So not every modified ECU will result in a failure. First of all, if the modification has a car BO. So in other words, it's gone through a, a process and has been validated to be emissions legal, then that will not result in a failure. In addition to that, we've had conversations with the Bureau of Automotive Repair, and we know from our conversations that they are being very, very selective about which of those ECU modifications will actually result in failures. As it stands right now, the only modifications that they are actually going to fail are those that they know are somehow 
um, going to cause a detriment to emissions. So usually it's going to be associated with like rolling coal like or something. Well, certainly that. So if you have a cat delete, if you have a DPF delete, if you have O2 sensor modifiers, those are the kinds of things that are going to result in a failure. There are so there is a large section of of modifications that are known to be illegal because they don't have an EO. However, the uh, the Bureau of Automotive Repair is not going to cause those to fail. We told so, you guys this was coming. We've been telling absolutely. you for Damn. years. I mean, yeah. So listen, Peter. What what are the estimates? You've got to have the numbers. I know that you guys at day at uh, at SEMA are are love data. You know how many cars and trucks are on the road. You know them by you know, make, model, year, all that stuff. How many have how many, a uh, fluorescent yellow uh, bead necklace hanging from the rearview mirror? I don't think they know that stuff. Oh, okay. But they do know the puka shells because if you've got a puka shell necklace from then, and, and uh, highlighted tips, yeah, then then they yeah. should take the, your truck right. Then from your Dexter you. from uh, from Offspring, <laughs> right? Maybe so. So how many illegally modified vehicles are do they estimate are in, in California? Because I I was in Sacramento at a diesel event. There's about 700 trucks there, and I'll bet I'd be willing to put a hundred bucks on the fact that there were at least 500 illegally tuned trucks with no emissions equipment and so that was just one you're also willing to give tesla 100 bucks too so well, i don't know so if that really I, I mean, has any weight it, it does it doesn't maybe it doesn't <laughs> but look that was one event in the state's capital like where they made this lit you know this law so yeah, the guys around the corner made the rules and uh, and they you know they got the show going on in the backyard I'm just saying, like, it, this is a bigger number, I think, than people realize. The number of cat deletes just on Mustang, just on Mustangs alone has got to be ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Every guy with a with a with a straight pipe on all these things, right? There are so many, there's so many straight pipes around. We've all heard them on the on the on the road, right? And what's going to happen to these guys? How many cars will be taken off the road or fined, or I, I don't or even fixed or fixed? And then what's your what's the process for fixing something that fails? Yeah, that's one of the interesting things about this particular situation at SmogCheck is that all they're really doing is um, causing you to fail the SmogCheck, which can get in the way of you registering your vehicle. But you have the option to fix it, right? So, so if you've Ill- illegally modified the vehicle, then you still you still can get it fixed. They're not going to take your vehicle away or anything like that. So the the SmogCheck failure is kind of a it's that it gives you an opportunity to to correct the situation. I like your now, positive spin on that. To get right with the that. world. Yeah. <laughs> I like your positive spin on that. No, but, but Hey Bobby, time to get on the right side of history but here, listen, pal. Listen, Peter, like you know, we just talked about this. There are thousands of adult men in California that don't know how to put their car or truck back to stock. They just don't. Now, this is not your problem. You're trying to make people uh you're trying to help businesses. Why are you trying to help people, dude? I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying it is. There's a handful. Let's just call it a handful. It's, it's not, not a talk- handful. It's Shh. thousands of people. Stop it, lightning. Why can't I talk about this? This is the subject matter of our show. Because people will go, lightning is outing all of us. It's going to happen regardless. Well, don't let it be you because they're going to take you out and to the back 40, if you know what I mean. Uh, that's why I asked Peter if he knows how many are modified with like cat deletes. It seems so... So, uh, not a big deal. Well, in my neighborhood, right? uh, we get about a cat delete every night as the uh, thieves come and steal them off of all the Toyotas. So. I'm <laughs> telling you, yeah, Prius is like mad you for whatever reason. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Well, so, so I, I don't know the answer to the question that you're asking, Mike, but I can tell you this. The smog check program checks about a million vehicles a month. And we, uh, we already know, so Barr knew going into this how many failures would occur because they've already built their database. They knew which ones were going to result in failures. So they, they've already had a, a running record of, of how many failures they, they could expect. They are expecting five to 10 failures per day. So you're talking about, about somewhere between 150 and 300 failures per month out of a million. That's a pretty small number. So they're being extremely conservative on what they're actually was causing to fail as a result of these ECU, ECU modifications. Wait, what? I can't wrap my head around this. We know, I know, you know, Stop Holman. Stop pushing. No. Why are you doing this? Why Let can't Peter like talk. It's like he's picking at a scab. I know, you know? dude. He's but, dude, it's, I want to help our listeners they, so they no. know what's coming. No, they know it's coming because they know what they've done. Just let them be. Peter is going to be our friend on the inside. He's going to say, guys, this is what you need to do. Lightning doesn't need to say, well, those guys over there have it too. Stop. I'm just saying it's we're all, there are people in this room that have to worry about Is this. Is that you worried about you? I'm saying there are people that we have friends that are friends that <laughs> we need to You said worry in about. this room there's only two of us. No, there's some people in here. <laughs> and, we have a studio audience. And I know the uh, We have a studio audience, everyone. <laughs> now I get See? why this is happening. You actually <laughs> This is the exact. I know exactly why you care you so much. Of course you do. <laughs> so this is exactly why I have a Carbio on my supercharger on my Jeep because right. I didn't want to go through this. So exactly, Peter. Question for you: What happens when I have an ECU that has been modified, but legally it has a carb exemption or executive order on it? And for example, I have to take it in next week because Jeep issued a vehicle update. So they have to pull the file out, update the vehicle ECU. The file needs to go and get sent off to overlay on the new program and then loaded back into the Jeep. Will mm-hmm. that file be different than the first one? That doesn't affect the EO or anything, right? Because they're just basically overlaying it off a, an updated base file. Right. So it is, it's very likely that at a minimum, the CEN is going to change. Um, possibly the Cal ID would change also depending on how the manufacturer of your supercharger and the tune are handling their file management. But um, we know from our conversations with Bar that Bar is not going to fail that. They're, they're working, you know, they're paying attention to those kinds of changes in their database. They know which companies have EOs and which ones don't, and they're not going to result, they're not going to cause a failure on something like that because they don't want to deal with the headaches that'll come with that. And I don't want somebody stealing my hood for the EO numbers that's <laughs> that's stuck on the bottom side right. of it. All right, so here's my other question. Uh, there's a lot of states out there that have the same emissions as California. Are you aware of any of them that follow the same smog procedures as California? And could you see this spreading into those states? Well, wait a second. You don't want me talking like getting everyone all riled up and here's you no, saying, no, oh, no, it's no, coming no, to your no, state too. No, the difference is you're saying, hey, authorities – you think there's only one. Shine the lights. There's a lot of more beady little eyes out there in the field. <laughs> I'm saying, are they going to do it to that field over there too? Uh-huh. That's the difference. I'm not diming them out. I'm just helping. I'm Paul Revere. I'm not diming I'm anyone I'm Paul out. Revere riding oh, horseback. Oh, you're the saint. I yes, forgot. Yes, I'm Paul Revere, and I'm warning you that it's coming. Meanwhile, Lightning's going, well, my neighbors are too. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. 
So there's a couple layers to the answer here. And uh, the first layer is when you hear of another state that is following the CARB guidelines, what that really means is that the, the new car sales in that state the, the vehicles that are sold there new are going to be meet California emissions. So that's, that's really what that means. Now there are other States that, or localities, it could be like, um, you know, a County or, or a, a regional portion of a state where they do some kind of a spot check. As of today, we don't have knowledge of any of those smog check programs that are requiring a CARB EO for aftermarket products. Um, there are some that will make inquiry about a CARBEO or they'll, they'll kind of gather that information, but I don't know of any programs at this point that would cause us a, a failure based on the lack of a CARBEO. Okay, That's good to Fair know. enough. All right. So, Lightning, don't point at the field over there. They're fine. I'm not pointing at any fields <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> I'm just looking at you because it suddenly dawned on me why, why you're so passionate why, about why, this topic. Why, I'm, why I care about this topic. Uh, uh-huh. Huh. huh. I like cars that go fast. How's your Arizona <laughs> property doing these days? Wish I had some. <laughs> yeah, you do. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, but I have uh, I have some property in Montana, which has just became a lot more important. Uh, a lot more important. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, where do you see this going in the next 10 years? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, I think that the fact that uh, the bar has the information in the database they know what what is legal and what isn't it is possible that they could expand um the you know the 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 criteria that would cause a failure but i know that they're you know they're playing it very conservatively for now and the you know basically what they told me was there aren't going to be any you know at the start of this there's not going to be any cu modification modifications that are going to result in failure if there weren't other modifications that went along with that, like a cat delete or something along those lines. So um, I think that, you know, this is a, it's, it's a little bit of a, of a warning to us to, you know, to pay attention to what's going on. You know, there's, there's no hiding the fact that these agencies exist to, you know, monitor what's going into the air. um, And the way they do that is by putting these kinds of rules in place. So I think, you know, you know, one of the reasons that my department exists at SEMA is to help our members be compliant, to get their products, you know, checked and, and to, um, to get them to a state where, um, you know, get them into a condition where they, they can claim full emissions legality. And, you know, I think a lot of people are kind of scared of that, but it's actually not as hard as you might think. And uh, we, we've, we've served, I think the count now we've we've served over 200 companies. Um, we're get coming up on our 500th EO in in the matter of about seven or eight years. So you know, helping members get get those EOs. So you know, it's doable, and um, and we're there to provide that service. All right. So let me ask you this: If you are a company that made your product so that it would be EO compliant, but never spent the money or didn't have the cash to do it. And now you're feeling pressure because you've got a customer base that has that product. Can you go and, as a company, go and get that retroactively EO'd, or are you screwed and you have to resubmit something new, or that's not you know there's no way to go back in time to make that right, or, or how does that work? Oh boy, now you're going to put me on the spot. Um, so technically, you you aren't supposed to be selling product that isn't emissions compliant. 
However, if you can demonstrate that the product is emissions compliant, I think you it, it, the agencies would be hard pressed to pursue you for a product that you were selling that was emissions compliant. But to the letter of the law, you're supposed to have that EO in hand before you're selling that product. Well, and, I'm I'm thinking about. Well, they've been doling out EO since the '80s. Well, well, and I'm not—I'm not, I'm not necessarily talking about California situation, other than maybe somebody bought a car out of state. Yeah, it has a out of state, uh, maybe. So you know, it's going online, they didn't do a delete. There's no cat delete. There's no DPF delete. Whatever. They just have a tune in it that never had a California EO. Cars here, car gets failed or whatever, and the manufacturer—they call the manufacturer, and the manufacturer is pressured and says, "Well, that's—it should be clean enough. You know, we we can submit it." I'm just, I don't know. I know it's sort I, I, of a weird rabbit hole. Well, I, I think the reality is, you know, being in this industry, that, that manufacturer is like, it, it's it's too late. Like, it's we're not going to go spend $30,000 yeah. unless there's a hope of, of selling many more thousands of or, these or units. Or proving that it's emissions legal in case some more heat comes down. But that's not easy to do. You've got to spend, again, twenty five, thirty $30,000. getting fined a million. Uh, just stop selling it. Just stop selling it and say, you know, sorry, we didn't, you know, play play dumb i don't know what what is that what's the reality there i I guess you're not in that's that's probably too much legalese for you right peter yeah i mean uh let's take another look at it um you know another another angle on this is that you know under the epa rules uh, epa doesn't have a program like the carbio like the carbio program so under the epa laws under the clean air act you still have to have a demonstration of emissions compliance, but it's up to you to do that to do that work to to essentially self-certify. So, you still got to do something to show that you're emissions compliant, and that's another area where, you know, we're working on on a program that'll support our helping our members do that demonstration of emissions compliance. It's called EPA calls it reasonable basis. You have to have a reasonable basis to to be able to show that your product is emissions compliant. So you still got to do some testing, and that's that's really what it comes down to. I think a lot of manufacturers of aftermarket products are scared of of the testing, but it's really not that scary. And I think that I think that if people got that message and, and understood that better, we'd see a lot more products going through the process and a lot more legal products. Well, he's just full of being reasonable right now, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> it's my job. <laughs> you know, it's hard to be mad at anybody when you've got an advocate. Like SEMA, and especially advocate like Peter, who can at least distill it down to a way you can kind of go, okay, I, I, I don't, maybe I'm not happy about it, but, I, but I get it. I'm, I'm, and it's, it's not always easy. I mean, there are some situations that are difficult. You know, there's a lot of custom tuning out there. Um, there are some products that that you know don't fit the mold well for the CarBO program. Um, so we fight those battles. We try to figure out, okay, how can we, how can we make this you know, make this product work or get it through the process. And, and we're always looking for those strategies and, and working through those processes. So, you know, I don't want to make it sound like it's like it's a perfect situation, but uh, but certainly, you know, we're we're there to try to figure out those those challenges. Uh, OK, well, Peter, thanks for depressing us. I'm not depressed. You know why? Because I got a carbio <laughs> sucker. Got a yeah. I got carbios <laughs> I saw, on my stuff. Saw, don't be silly. What I are you, mental? Which, so how stuff? is that Jeep doing, uh, Holman? What's going on with it? Uh, which part of it? The supercharger, the Edelbrock supercharger. Well, I mean, we're it's, it's entering a uh, Adventure Jeep 2.0 phase right now. Uh, nice. Wheels are getting dropped off tomorrow for Cerakote, Uh and it's going to get uh, it's got new wheels. Got what color? 
Uh, burnt bronze. Okay. It's got a new BFG uh, KM3 uh, mud terrains, 37s. Nice. It's getting nice. a new rear axle because the axle sensor failed, and uh, Dana doesn't sell that part to Jeep, so they had to warranty the entire rear axles. It's getting wow. a new rear axle. It's getting uh, the AEV's new 8100s, Bilstein 8100 shocks, uh, and their new uh, Bilstein steering stabilizer. It's getting their new front bumper. And it might be getting the uh, version two of GFC's uh, rooftop tent. So wow, it's a lot of plastic surgery oh, on that a, girl. And a Borla, a Borla exhaust to uncork the blower a little bit. Nice. Well, we need to uh, meet up on the trail again sometime soon. I, I would love to. Yeah, no, it's uh, August is sort of like the, uh, the rebuilding phase of getting it, and then it's going to be back to uh, lots of adventures again, hopefully uh, in fall. But, uh, yeah, blower's, blower's been good. Uh, gas mileage is horrendous. Yeah, um, sounds about right. Way worse than I thought it was going to be. Really? Way worse than by I thought how it was going to be. By a factor of a lot. No, really, though. No, if I was getting 14, 15 before, I'm getting 11 now. Okay. But that's also the rooftop tent. The rooftop tent takes yeah. uh, about one and a half miles per gallon. You I put I, a I, sail I, on, the, on sideways. I hand calculate everything. So, I mean, it's I, I like to be around 280 miles to a tank. Uh, yep. With the rooftop tent going 80, I'm about 200 miles to a tank, Ooh, so that yeah, hurts. Yeah. I'd rather be, if I could get around 250 reliably, so uh, I need to figure out if I take the rooftop tent off and then maybe move to a shift pod. You're below electric truck range. I know. It's depressing. Ow. Yeah. And you cannot fit a, uh, a larger tank, some kind of a Titan or something under there. There's no room. Well, it's ga- right? We can't do it anyway. Cause right. it's well, that's why you bring those extra yeah. jerry cans. Yeah, I mean, I got 10 gallons on the back, you know, mm. so that's not a big deal. Fill the rooftop tent. Open it up. Fill the rooftop tent with fuel. With fuel. <laughs> uh, that might be diminishing returns of stuff. And the, and the right. GFC is really low profile, right? So, uh, But no, the uh, the blower's got like 5,000 miles on it. I don't have, uh, haven't had any issues with uh, overheating. Haven't had any major drivability issues. I did have every once in a while a little bit of a surge at steady state in third gear. Wait, do, did we upgrade the injectors? Did it come with it? Yeah, it, it did. new injectors. Oh, so that's Ford, Ford Mustang injectors. Mm, that's where it went. Um, and but it's it's weird because I would have figured a little bit of a loss at at cruise, but it's it's fairly significant. A little, little bit depressing. <laughs> that much. <laughs> the look on his face, you can't see Peter, but he is, uh, he's yeah. depressed. No, he was it's... enjoying his. He was his joint. Well, because I drive, I drive cross country a lot. It's not like I'm doing just a day trip where you're gonna fill up once out there. I drive where I may do a thousand miles in a day. Five Phillips is a lot of Phillips during a day. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. my god, another gas station. Right. I haven't had to pee the last three stops, and I still don't. You know. Now, could you pull a trailer and just run a, a hose <laughs> up, up yeah, to your I, fuel I, tank? I might have to. Um, is that is like the that's like the uh, the Tesla that pulls a uh, a big Onan generator? It on is wheels, not. Right? This is not a perpetual motion machine. It doesn't work yeah, like that with the with the orange extension cord going between them. Right? Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and then I uh, we just had the uh, the final version of the Center Force uh, clutch put in, and it oh, nice. is awesome. Super awesome. It's it's the Fantastic. best best that things ever felt. So I'm super stoked on that. So listen, that's Peter, do, do you is the future bright for automotive enthusiasts? In, in in the Western Hemisphere here, or is it is it bleak and it's electrification? And if you if you like internal combustion engines, your day is just going to get crappier. You know, it's funny. I, I can point you to articles that were written back in the '70s and '80s that said uh, our industry's over, our industry's done. We're not going to be able to modify cars anymore because of all these emissions laws. And you know, here we are. You know, 50 years later, and and we're still enjoying um, those opportunities. So I I, I don't ever want to say you know it's the end of the world. You know, electrification is is what it is. Um, I think that 
it's it, you know there will be some portion of the fleet that's going to move that direction uh, but even then people are going to find ways to have fun with them modify them you know make them different better and uh, you know so there's always going to be some opportunity there it's just a different kind of opportunity so um, yeah I, I mean I think I, I never want to say you know the world's you know the, the world's nearing its end because I, I don't think that's the case all right, let's end on an upbeat note right there. <laughs> what what I just heard from Peter? No, is, no, no, we're ending. No, no what we're I just ending heard, right there. No, upbeat note. Why I, are you I, I doing heard this? from Peter that cat oh. and DPF deletes are are Stop. fine. I heard that uh, ECU tuning is fine. I heard. Were that, you uh, on the I, same show that I've been on? <laughs> can we just leave? Can we, let's let's let him go on a happy note. Okay, it's a happy note. We'll have you back when you have more sad news. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Peter from the uh, what's your official title there Peter I'm the director of emissions compliance yeah that's pretty important yeah that's pretty important yeah Peter right. uh <laughs> thank you for for making time for us we apologize for uh talking uh, to you for for yeah for, <laughs> for wasting your your your, your Precious, time valuable time yep it's been a pleasure you are uniquely qualified Somehow I doubt though. that no listen though you are uniquely qualified to talk in this area and I don't even know where we would go for this kind of discussion. I, I don't know of another expert in this field. It's Peter. It, it is. It is a very uh, kind of niche area to to know stuff about, and uh, you know, it's just kind of weird that that it even exists, you know. But but I enjoy it. It's something that um, I, I find it, what I'm able to do is is help small businesses maintain their business. You know, they, they, it gives them a way to to kind of assure uh, their their own future. So. That's kind of how I look at it. All right, uh, Peter Tridy, uh, the the something something director, director of, of emissions, emissions compliance, compliance at right, SEMA. At SEMA, yes. yes. The Jimmy John's uh, sandwiches that we had earlier, uh-huh. that the bread, the the sugar yeah. is wearing off, and now I'm going into some kind of a food coma. I don't see that yet. No, you don't see no. that. Yet. <laughs> you, haven't, you, haven't, you haven't fully crashed yet. <laughs> it's coming. Don't yeah. worry. Oh, don't worry. The night is young, gentlemen. Exactly. Yeah, not for us. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. Peter. Thank you so much. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Great talking to you guys. Okay. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Homer, if you don't mind, let's hit some email. It's been a while. You email? Yeah. I email. Do it. I'm the one drinking yeah, the Red yeah. Bull, but Holman's uh, spazzing out over here. It's been a while since we've done email. Got a whole pile of them here. All right, I got one. Uh, I'll start it off. Uh, July 31st is the email from uh, Brett. Uh, sorry, Bart Harkey. Uh, lighting in Holman. There's supposed to be two ends in lightning, but he wrote lighting in Holman. So I was very glad to hear about the meetup on July 31st. Now, wait a minute. Holman. Oh, did we miss that one? I think we missed it. We didn't and, and Bart was there. Yeah, Bart was there. He, he was there. That was well, awesome. This is going to be weird that you've already been there and uh, we're writing to you now. Uh, I think he still asks, is asking us a question, so. Okay. Ordinarily, it would not be something remotely possible for me, but my daughter will be playing at a softball tournament around the Huntington Beach area at the time of your party. This means you'll have at least one Georgia resident in attendance. I was going to send an email and ask about craft breweries and tacos in the area. It seems one question has indeed been answered. I would really like a short list of local restaurants that you guys frequent and are unique to the area, especially um, interested in the best tacos in the area. Looking forward to meeting you guys, and I appreciate all the hours you put into the podcast. And he ends it with, yeah, buddy, Emmy style. Yeah, buddy. 
See you on uh, July 31st, Bart. And uh, we he did was see there. you. Yeah, yeah appreciate awesome. that. And uh, we loved your accent. <laughs> was, I know. Uh, he, he was super cool. Yeah. Bart, awesome to uh, to meet you in person. And uh, sorry about that your uh, daughter's softball team didn't make it all the way to the end, but it was great that you were out there with us. And uh, yeah, so you found uh, one of my favorite breweries around, at least uh, in that part of uh, the world. A lot of great taco shops around there. I wish we would have talked more about it because... Uh, I did not know that he was looking for taco shop reference, and yeah. I would have uh, provided uh, a few at least. Yeah, there, I mean, there's taco shops all over the place. Would have been good if we read that email before yeah. we met We haven't him. read emails in a few weeks because we've been so busy. Yeah, truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. I mean, there's proof that we read them right here. It's happening now. So yes. do send us an email. Uh, home in Europe next. All right, this one's uh, from Eric Stevens, who uh, says, uh, Ska will save the world. So uh, What do you say? Ska will save the world? Says, uh, hey, Lightning. What do you do when your kid's room is a mess? I I don't know. Tell him to pick it up, pick it up, pick it up! Yeah, <laughs> Ska reference. Eric is always good for a good Ska reference. Pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Yep. <laughs> no, uh, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up! Uh, whatever you're saying. Diesel Dart continued. Dakota Black says, Hey, Lightning and Holman, in addition to my previous email that I sent about the history of the Dodge Dart Diesel, I forgot to send the picture of the Motor Trend magazine that featured the Dodge, uh, sorry, the Diesel Dart announcement back in the August issue of 1974. If you do some research, you can find the article as they got to test drive a four speed turbocharged version of the Diesel Dart. And the magazine cover is look at this cover, dude. It says, Announcing a diesel-powered Dodge Dart, but it's the car floating over the city as if it's, like, levitating. Well, you know, diesels were known for being very lightweight back then and levitating cars. I don't even... I can't even imagine who would have... Why would you just paste the and car... There's an ad, I think. Did, did you attach the ad to it? There's a couple oh, let, of photos Let me, let me in there, take a no? look here. Oh, yeah, there's the ad. Like the oh, com- that's the Motor Trend cover right there. Yeah, that's there. Motor Trend You cover. were looking at the ad a minute ago. Yeah, yeah, that was the... Okay, and then... Oh, hmm. Well, thanks for passing that along. I always love seeing old magazine covers. It's the best. And hold on, check this out. So here's uh, some uh, headlines on the cover of the 1974 Motor Trend right here. Yeah. Reprieve on Slaughter Alley. 3,700 drivers owe their lives to the 55-mile-per-hour speed limit. Or do they? (laughs) Yeah. You've got the wrong car, officer. Outdated cop cars cost taxpayers $320 million. The man behind the Bricklin okay, car, okay, you radio need 20 million. <laughs> By the way, the man behind the Bricklin car is Malcolm Bricklin. He and I are friends on LinkedIn, and we've had conversations on there, which is kind of cool, huh. believe it or not. Sort of a weird segue. You're up. Go ahead. All right. Uh, John Gregg says, uh, Sleeper. Hello, Holman and Lightning. Once again, John Gregg here. Lightning and Holman. This is a Murano truck trading guy. You ask it's a uh, Lightning and Holman. You ask what I meant about typing from the sleeper. No, I believe uh, Lightning did that. Uh, I team drive, which means when I'm driving, my co-driver's in the sleeper. And when he's driving, I'm in the sleeper, which is the case right now. I'm laying on a twin mattress as we travel down I-80 westbound and down. I added that in Nebraska. It's eastbound and down. Not right now. Oh. Uh, we do uh, two Salt Lake City runs and a Denver run from Kansas City, Kansas. We're about 5,550 miles a week in about four and a half days, but I'm trying to type this out uh, as we bounce down the road, LOL. All come clean. I have ordered an XLT FX4 tow package. Maverick. Oh. Uh, why not? <laughs> why not? It was the first day and zero cost to me. I also placed an order for my Willie's Gladiator soon. Uh, not making those right now. The Maverick makes sense to me because I live 210 miles from Kansas City and I want a truck, but don't really need a truck. That being said, I'm sure the Maverick in person will be 
What I hope for uh, on paper, oh, it's the fact that it's 10000 less than the Jeep. Doesn't mean it'll be worth a lower payment. So I'll, I'll, I'm waiting to see. Show idea. I know Holman does test reviews for the magazine, but couldn't we get Jay's review of the same truck, but on the podcast? You must can... be out of your mind. And can we still read Sean's? Thanks, guys. Hope that clears up what I meant about uh, phone typing from the sleeper. All the taglines. <laughs> John Gregg. P.S. Uh, I'm going to be sick. I think he's, he's talking about uh, from the road. And then he sent us a second email that has pictures of a sleeper so Lightning can visualize uh, the the luxury the luxurious accommodations. says, uh, hi, gents. Thought I would uh, show you the space. I spent up to 13 hours. Most days it's between 10 and a half and 12 hours, but I drive uh, I-80 in winter, so some days are longer. I'll remind you my co-driver is driving or I am driving when one of us is in this space and I've been team driving for three plus years, which means in this space four to six nights a week. We we do have a microwave, but it's in the passenger side box to save space in the sleeper. And I did stuff my pillow into the nightstand to show you how big or small the space is, plus hide my personal stuff like CPAP machine and some clothes or just a messy area of stuff. Uh, Got so much space, it's hard to believe. Enjoy, John Gregg. So, Lightning, I'll let you uh, describe the photos that he sent in there. All right, so uh, it looks like a padded cell. Yeah, and, it kind of does. Uh, it, it does a little bit. And if you didn't tell me what this was, I would say this is in an airline, in an aircraft. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Because sure. it's it's got that. I, I would assume it's white. These are black and white photos. Yeah. Uh, and it looks like there is a fair amount of room. It's got some seatbelts hanging from some odd places I wouldn't have expected. But, yeah, it just looks like a padded cell. There is a fair amount of room. I, it would scare me to be using a CPAP machine in one of these in one, things. Yeah, you know what be, I mean? It would scare me to be asleep in the top bunk. Yeah. And, and then ha- basically have the uh, the guy uh, slam on the brakes. Well, I think you're probably safe. It does have, I don't know how, if you seatbelt yourself in there somehow, yeah, but I'm, like I'm they're coming from the ceiling. You see, look, look, you see that? Yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking, yeah. Huh. huh. But it doesn't look as cu- uncomfortable as one might think. Yeah, as long as I had air on me, because there's not like a lot of well, uh, yeah, windows. Well, dude, it's a big rig. It's got it's got some good AC in there. You got to think, right? Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. I don't uh, know if that's on my bucket list to uh, co-drive, uh, but eh, maybe. No, I, I just want to do. I think I want to do a train. I really, uh, and I, you know, oh, this is going to crack you up. Oh no, this is going to crack you up. Something fierce. Oh boy. So you know, I always talk about taking a ride on a train, right? Yeah. Do you know what my neighbor's son does? He is a train conductor. Yep. For Amtrak. Yep. And he's going to just found help out you. Like two weeks. No, I haven't asked him yet. I just found out. He's always over there. We're drinking beers. We've had a hundred conversations on, you know, you on the front never lawn. I thought to ask him what he does. I thought he was in construction for some reason. I just, I don't know why. I think it was a conversation. Yeah, constructing about, awesome train trips yeah, for neighbors. So. I don't even know, dude. Right. So anyway, uh, subject, subject is uh, laughing at lightning. Hey, great. <sighs> From Jacob Boone. Go Jacob. Yeah. I laughed just as hard as Holman did when Lightning said, just move up to the next trim level. (laughs) Holman, where did you find this guy? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah, that's what happens when you find your friends at uh, the Tower Wow store. (laughs) D-list celebrity appearances. (laughs) All right, last one here from our friend uh, Rich Holdaway up in uh, Hollister, California. He says, what's up, my brothers from another mother? says, uh, holy moly, enlightening EV. Sorry it's been so long since I sent an email. It's been fun following all the amazingness with the coolest slam build lockjaw, named by Banks, LOL, mm-hmm. and that bitch in Jeep. I never wanted a Jeep until I started watching Holman on the trail of the Adventure Jeep. I might be purchasing a 98 Jeep ZJ. Whoa, wait, so, so Holman inspired a dude to buy a Jeep. 98 ZJ, so that's the, the first generation of the Grand Cherokee. says, uh, it's been built pretty nicely because the owner, my buddy Chris, 
wants a Touareg TDI. We'll see how it looks tonight when I go drive it around. Hopefully it's not the uh, first-generation V10 Touareg uh, TDI that had 560 or so examples in America because that thing was a pile of crap. You can uh, Amazing technology, but uh, you can read my uh, review in four-wheeler from back in the early 2000s on that one and uh, and laugh a little bit. I can. Uh, what am I searching for in four-wheeler? Uh, you can search for... Holman Touareg? Sean P. Holman uh, Touareg Long Term or something like that. Okay. It'll come up. I'm in Sunnyvale for the uh, next week and listening to the latest episode with Billy Creech. That was a sad story about the couple in the Subaru in Death Valley. I hadn't heard until you spoke of it. In other news, I thought I'd suggest something at the 53-minute mark. You two have a quote-unquote discussion about Lightning's inability to understand the daily driver versus the lowered street frame dragger. At that moment, slow the podcast down to half speed and listen to it. I was laughing so freaking hard, especially when Lightning's rebuttal is, no, 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 no. Oh, man, half-speed Lightning and Holman is a hoot. I think we sound pretty drunk, don't we? Yes, yeah, that's how you, uh, yeah. Awful. It says, uh, hope you two have a spectacular day, a wonderful week, and enjoy uh, a five-star In-N-Out double-double animal style with some medium fries. Uh, well done, and a Dr. Pepper. Keep on mounting those parameters and be Bowser well. monitor key engine parameters. Sorry, I stomped you with the, uh, the mounted parameters right. there. Yeah. Uh, well, we got five stars. Can I play that? Here we go. Five-star review! Five-star! Says, I've included a picture of my son with his new hot rod, which he named Hutch, a 75 Ford Ranchero 500, the 5.8 liter Windsor V8, which is uh, the uh, 351. He's so happy to have something that he can put his own sweat and tears into without being one of my projects. Talk to you later. And that's, uh, again, from our buddy uh, Rich up there in Hollister. And uh, congratulations. That thing is badass. It's all freaking 70s Ranchero. You're going to turn your laptop sideways so I can see it? All 70s Ranchero. Oh, yeah. That's that's good look. That's a good look. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. It's so, a cool car. You know his kid looks like? Do you remember um, Family Ties? Mallory's boyfriend? I don't recall. Nick? No, nah, I don't yeah, recall. Yeah, that's what he looks like. His AirPod in one ear sort of looks like his uh, Nick's earring. In oh, the back of the show. now I remember, you remember the one earring guy. Yeah, 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 yes, yeah, I yeah, do. yeah, yeah. Kind of looks like he's got the, the jeans going yep, for it. Straight everything. 80s, yep. Yep, we uh, just dated ourselves uh, horribly. Uh, we do that all the time because yep. we don't have wives or, or proper girlfriends. <laughs> yeah, that's a different kind of dating. Oh, okay. No love for the Ford Lightning, asks Sammy Mack. Hello, fellas. Based on your... <laughs> Wait, I mean, look. Does he actually say hello? Look. He yeah, did. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we'll I don't know if that's the same inflection as you, but no. okay. Okay, so what if you read this? Hello, fellas. Uh, not no? better. Not better. What about like, hello, fellas? Yeah, sure. Okay. Based on your lukewarm slash cold reception of the Cybertruck reveal and the continued snide comments toward the Cybertruck. What? When I saw the F-150 Lightning reveal, I was confident that I would hear some glowing coverage on the Truck Show podcast due to the familiar truck utility and styling of the Lightning now just with electric power. Color me surprised when you appeared underwhelmed by the F-150 Lightning. Based on your specific reservations with the Cybertruck, how is the F-150 not so much better in your estimation? I'm starting to sense a little bias against electric trucks. Maybe you feel burned by Nikola, or perhaps the Truck Show Podcast... Or perhaps the Truck Show Podcast is under a little influence of big oil. How long have Exxon and Shell been undisclosed sponsors of the show? Not long enough, I'll tell you that much. Maybe that explains the deep pockets and connections you have for getting such great guests to interview. (laughs) He says. I love it. Full conspiracy theory, tinfoil hat, I love it. Okay, rant over. Thanks, Sam. (laughs) Truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. That is truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. 
gmail.com. I'm going to, I've crumpled up your email, Sam, and I'm going to toss it towards Holman and see if he can bank it into the trash can. Here we go. Nice. Nope. Oh, <laughs> you missed it. Ah, I wasn't sure if I wanted to block your shot or, or help you. It's kind of like that one uh, Brian uh, Reagan uh, deal where he's like, take luck. If you've ever, he's a comedian and where he says, you get mixed up with trying to say, take care and good luck. And it comes out, take, take luck. luck. <laughs> That's sort <laughs> yeah. of what I did there, but mm-hmm. it ain't. Yeah, a, a, a physical way. Um, no, I don't think that there's. Listen, you having some trouble here? Uh, what were you trying I, I to get about the Ford F one fifty Lightning? Before you can, you know, confuse us with a podcast that has deep oil money, um, or or big oil deep pocket money. Uh, hang out in early September. We'll have a. I'll have a surprise for you. How about that? Early September. So for you listening, I don't know what Holman's talking about, and now I'm uh, just as curious as you are. Yeah. So just uh, there, there's there's stuff on the horizon. I think that you, uh, those of you who like tech and uh, accuse us of being uh, uh, battery haters and all that, just stay tuned. That's all. What do you say we get into our next guest? <laughs> I, I, you're just staring I, there in your I, mouth. I, open. I want more. That's all I got for you. You you gotta tell me if this is is I, this F one fifty Lightning? Is it Cybertruck? Is it Rivian? I can't tell you. Can't you be patient? A couple weeks. Is it that square box company that's like in the... Canoe? No. The canoe? Yeah. So our next guest, Josh Robinson, learned apparently how to drift in an LS-powered ute in Australia. What? That's what I'm saying. There's a lot, like you said in the beginning, there's a lot to unpack on this onion, so uh, let's uh, let's give Josh a, a ring. Well, this might be an expensive phone call. Why? He's in Texas. Oh, I was thinking. Oh, okay, good. That's that's. I can afford that. Hello. Hello. Is this Mr. Josh Robinson, Lightning and Holman Truck Show Podcast? Hey, great to meet you guys. Fantastic. Hey, what kind of Texas accent is that? <laughs> I'm from I'm from the real south. It's about twenty thousand miles <laughs> oh, south of here. That is the real south. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, we we have a uh, a unnatural uh, fascination and love for Australians on this show, um, but we do have to ask you because apparently my man Lightning here from uh, across the desk, he wants to know what your rhino population looks like down there. <laughs> no, he does not going to understand that joke. <laughs> One time, Josh, I messed up, and for some reason I asked about rhinos no, in Australia. No, it's because we had Rhino Rack on, another great Australian company. And, oh. <laughs> and Jay says, hey, what about rhinos? And it's like, uh, yeah, they're yeah, they yeah, no. in Australia. Yeah, that's more Africa, that, that type <laughs> of thing. So, yeah, sorry about that. Hey, before we can talk to you, we have a quick intro to play, so don't move. Yo, the truck show. <laughs> show interview you don't want to miss we talk to top dogs in the industry how'd you blow up how'd you come to be who this who this truck show represent all right so first off josh this is going to be a tough one because you're a formula drift driver you're sponsored by our friends at Duralast, which we'll get to in a second. That's how, how we got in touch with you. Uh-huh. But then you're a good-looking chap with an Australian accent who races cars. You Wait, got- hold on. Wait, hold on. When he first came over, he was racing utes. I, Nobody right, else had right. a ute. He's racing he had utes. A, he had a ute. So he's the ultimate chick magnet. And he's the opposite wait, of us. And he's got a Jeep, <laughs> he's got a Jeep project, so, so I like him for that. But okay. 
There's like a Datsun, was it 510 pickup truck he's trying to shove a V12 into right now? Josh, what kind of yeah. crazy stuff is going on out there in Texas? <laughs> Seems like a reasonable thing to do. <laughs> this is why we can be friends and why we need to know know you better. <laughs> well, thanks for the intro, guys. I appreciate it. So let's talk uh, about so yeah, yeah. Let's talk about how you came to the U.S. and started your uh, career in racing and how it's led to all these other really fun projects. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I guess growing up in Australia. Uh, Obviously, the Holden Ute is an icon in our country. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know what one is, it's very much like a modern-day El Camino, which is uh, obviously been around the U.S. a long time. We didn't really get those in Australia, but the the Holden Ute and the the Ford Falcon Ute as well were both super super popular. So uh, when I first started drifting, everyone was sliding around the usual uh, Nissan S chassis and things like that. I thought, well, heck, the Holden Ute is a LS powered beast from the factory and it's rear wheel drive so there's two of the big boxes you need to tick and then like all rabbit holes that <laughs> or if you chase it if you chase it too far down the rabbit hole you end up 20,000 miles from home to the other side of the world and it's so light on the rear end i mean you're just flicking that thing what hold on a second we we have to back even further though Back, let's back up how did you get into racing were you following formula drift before it was a thing like yeah for sure so uh drifting when i first started racing in australia wasn't a, a huge thing uh I, my background is actually in rallying original yeah originally so i did a lot of uh rallying and then some circuit racing between rally events because i grew up in a pretty small town and so uh if you wanted to do a lot of motorsport you had to be a little bit diverse in what you could do so i spent my time between rallying and circuit racing and then uh i was working in china uh on and off and i was like man it's only an hour flight from china to japan uh i'm sure no one in my head office in australia will miss me if i go off the radar for 48 <laughs> hours so i quickly ducked over japan and went and checked it out and i was like man this seems like a real good time okay uh, hold on and just yeah, a, wait 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 hold on wait a second all right josh hold, we got we got to wrap our heads around this you're racing you're an australian you just happen to be in china for work and then you yep. just waltz on over to Japan. <laughs> like this is these are not stories that Holman and I could share with our friends. I mean, they are, but they'd be lies. They would all be lies. Exactly. <laughs> oh man, it seemed like a good idea at the time. I mean, as I said, it was only an hour's flight, so it wasn't that far. It was no uh, way. Yeah, but, not, yeah, but Mexico is a couple hour drive from here, and we're not down there all the time. Now, how did you get there? What were you doing? Were you an inter were you an international banker or something like that? Uh, no, not at all. No, so, international uh, man of mystery. Was, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> An intrigue. Austin probably, Powers? Probably Austin, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, so I was working uh, in construction, and we were overseeing a project out there. And, uh, yeah, as I said, it wasn't that far away. Uh, kind of the equivalent of you guys going to Las Vegas, I guess. Uh, and, yeah, just being young and crazy and having a sense of adventure. Uh, yeah, I had the weekend off, and I really wanted to see drifting in person. And Japan is obviously its origins. So, yeah, I ended up scooting over there for the weekend. And, uh, I mean, let's let's face it, when you're driving a car, when it gets sideways, it's, like, always the most exciting bit. And so the opportunity to only do the exciting bit all the time just really captivated me and, and the way we went. So how did you get hooked up with uh, our friends over at Duralast? And I, I know that it's, you're not one of those uh, like prima donna racers who has all these people. Like you actually wrench on stuff. You have your own projects. You get your your fingernails dirty. You replace parts and do all that stuff. How did that relationship uh, get together? Because you've been 
if I'm reading my notes correctly, Formula Drift, Drift Academy, and, and a bunch of other things where you've tied up with them repeatedly uh, over the years. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, after my experience of drifting in Japan, I went back to Australia and built a drift car. And I campaigned that for three years over there. And then I ended up uh, racing in Australia and Asia, predominantly in Japan. And what was that car? And, uh, in Asia, I was driving a Toyota. Uh, it was a, I started off driving a JZX90, and then I progressed onto the JZX100, which is a uh, 1JZ turbocharged uh, car. And then in Australia, I was campaigning a Holden U. And so after a couple of years, I had the, the results I needed, and I signed a contract with a company in the US uh, to come over and compete here for three years in the Formula Drift Championship. And uh, during that time, I was fortunate enough to uh, meet the team from Duralast at SEMA one year. Uh, I was out there with Hoonigan doing a whole bunch of crazy stuff with them at the front. Uh, and yeah, cross paths with them. I was already super familiar with their products. Obviously, it's available uh, in AutoZone stores all across the US. And the Formula Drift Championship takes us to every corner of this fine country. Uh, so, yeah, the opportunity arose to, to go and do them. I had some pretty crazy stories of situations that uh, I ended up using their products in, and they were all about that, and I was a huge fan of what they were doing, and it progressed from that. So what is one of those crazy stories for – okay, so I'll give you my crazy last story. I told this on the uh, the last episode of the podcast. I basically inherited a uh, 42 Ford GPW military Jeep and uh, caught it on fire. Awesome. Uh, and then had to put the fire out and then had to rewire it. And then uh, to get it out of the middle of the street, I had to uh, drive the uh, the starter uh, in gear uh, because it wouldn't fire up. And it burned out the Bendix. So I went to my local AutoZone and grabbed a Duralast starter, got everything rewired, fires up like a new car. It's awesome. So I was telling it, you know, we're, we, we've been working with, uh, with Duralast for a while now, and I'm like, hey, Lightning. I used a journal last hour. He goes, nobody's going to believe that well, this happened. It's one of those things where people just are going to assume that we're making it up because yeah. there are, you know, because there are partner, yeah, our partner, yeah. And it's like, no, it ha- I was there. I looked out. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. There's a journal last box on the ground. He just put this in. I'm like, yeah. I had to take a picture of it. So, yeah, so, that so, happened. So it happened. Yeah. So what was uh, what was some wacky journal uh, last parts you story? Because you're right, they're available. They're all over the country, and. Well stocked. Listen, if you don't live near a, an auto zone, then move. <laughs> I mean, just move. <laughs> if you picked a bad spot, is it like uh, uh, auto like zone? Don't trust it. Across the U.S., I'm pretty sure that you don't have to move too far. Exa- like, exactly. Exactly. Maybe two or three blocks. <laughs> this should be your litmus test for <laughs> traveling. Like or anything like that. If your town doesn't have a uh, auto zone, don't trust it. Oh, that's yeah, a good road, one. road trip <laughs> advice right there. I like that. I like that. So, what what situation? Because I think of a drift driver, you've got a big semi, you've got all the tools, you've got everything you need at your disposal. But no, apparently, you're like the guys in, uh, you know, uh, uh, not dirt every day. What's what's the other show? Uh, Roadkill. Roadkill. Thank you. I always get the two shows confused. Roadkill. Completely, completely the same show, too. No, but what I'm saying is they're always <laughs> finding themselves at you know outside of an auto zone, picking up parts because- or swapping an engine. Yeah, absolutely. And like when you do as many miles as we do each year on the road, you can go as well prepared as you want. But at the end of the day, you know what it's like. Life's always going to throw you a curveball. And <laughs> when, that, when that happens, you want a lifeline not too far away. So the, so the crazy story, and this is way before uh, like we were working together or anything like that. It was at Formula Drift at Road Atlanta in 2018. It was when I got my first win, in fact. But the, the story behind the scenes of that is – 
quite ridiculous. So basically, we had uh, exploded a factory alternator and we needed a way to get the car to the start line. And I don't know if you guys know much about drifting, but you basically get five minutes to fix a car at a certain part of the competition only. Wait, and only so, five minutes? Seriously? Yeah, so if you need to get hands on that thing and fix a mechanical problem, like a factory alternator deciding to eject it itself, then you've got <laughs> five minutes. So we didn't have much time on our hands. Uh, so looking at the issue, um, basically as, as the alternator let go, it then depleted the uh, the battery as well. So we couldn't start it, we couldn't do anything. So our very questionable solution was to run down to our trailer, which was down the bottom of the hill, and rob the Duralast battery out of the trailer, the one that's usually used for lighting it and for using the uh, hydraulic lifting jack on the front to connect it to the truck and things like that. And we ran it back up the top of the hill, basically just ratchet-strapped it into the back of the ute and uh, hot-wired it so that it would start. To its credit, it got us through the next two battles, and we won the event with no alternator. Nice, just running, nice. Just running a thousand horsepower Ute. Off the, a, off a now battery. that's why you go with the Ute because you got all that bed space for those big batteries. I know, right? Yeah, we're basically cheating. Oh, hold on, oh, they're clapping. They're clapping for you. Hold on, that, that's the crowd. Woo! Go, oh, guys! <laughs> yeah, you hear, look at that guy in the back. See him standing up. Duralist! Yeah, yeah, big fan. Woo! Big fan over there. <laughs> So what are uh, some of your other uh, – I, I mean, obviously, we're truck guys, so I'm partial to your uh, your ute exploits. You w- were able to win a championship in that vehicle or win some races in it? Yeah, that, that was my first win, actually, at, at Road Atlanta, and that's when we had to uh, do the very questionable, very successful hot wiring using the trailer battery. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. That That's one of those th- – I mean, especially when you're under the gun of uh, you've got five minutes. That totally changes everything. Yeah, it's it definitely adds to the event because like on the live stream you can see the crazy stuff that the teams have to try and do when they're put in a bind like that. I think it's also good as well because like if you do have a mechanical issue, you do have a lifeline to try and fix it. It was not too big, and I think it's good for the crowd as well, right? Because it means that a team is not having to dip out just because of like a, a small issue, and it's not always having to do crazy things like that. Sometimes, uh, like I've seen teams like will accidentally forget to change a nitrous bottle or they'll tear a corner off the car because they go off track. And so you, you get that opportunity to, to try and stay in the event, which I think is awesome. Uh, to me, like when I go and watch Formula One and things like that, and I see someone break a tie rod, I'm like, oh, you guys can fix that in the pits in five minutes. <laughs> but obviously in Formula One, it comes down to thousands of a second over a one-hour race. So maybe they can't. So I think that's what makes drifting cool is it's still very relatable and uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when I was in high school, my first car uh, was a Honda Accord, and so we would steal the McDonald's trays, throw up the e-brake under the rear wheels, and then we would drift them around corners in the neighborhood and try and get them sideways in our front wheel. <laughs> well, wait a minute, wasn't that like so, when we went to decked? To the yeah, deck we warehouse? did that at decked also in that camera, <laughs> that rental Camry. No, so I mean, like every kid can relate with drifting, right? Like every kid loves to get out in a whether it's a cornfield with a a, a a K10 Chevy or something like that, or it's some kid in the suburbs like me who had a Honda Accord with McDonald's trays locked up under the rear tires. That's, you know, that is, you're a better driver if you know how to drift, period. But there's something that is uh, magical about pitching a car sideways. I mean, even look at the movie Cars, right? When when uh, Lightning uh, McQueen learned that you had to turn the opposite way to to, uh, to get around the dirt track, right? Like, that was the whole premise of that movie. 
And you look at it, but that's true. That's true for, for learning how to drive and vehicle dynamics and control. And, and it's fun to be at that ragged edge. But Josh, you started with the rally racing, which is even more taxing. I mean, you have to be precise and the speeds are insane. And there's no, like in, in Formula Drift, you have style points. Yeah. In, in in rally, you don't have style points. Like it's a race. Well, and you're trying not to kill people who are standing in front of you on a blind hill. And you're trying not to die yourself by going <laughs> yeah. off a cliff, right? <laughs> That's it. And, and so how did those skills that you learned in rally translate over to drift in the beginning? And do you like drift better than rally? Is that why you stuck with that? Or I think was... we're peppering with too many questions no, all No, that's once. what we do here. <laughs> Wait, this, that's the line? This well, is, this well, is the actually, interview you draw the line? <laughs> it's kind of funny, actually, to go back to what you are saying just then about the McDonald's trays. Uh, <laughs> even though I grew up 20,000 miles away, we did the exact same thing. I had a um, fish and <laughs> lamps nice. Wait, what was the restaurant? Where'd you steal them? Was it McDonald's? Yeah, it was McDonald's. Yeah! yeah. <laughs> See, at least except you're good for a, something. Except in Australia, we call it Maccas. Can I, can I tell you? Wait, Maccas? <laughs> yeah, Maccas. And, and Jack in the Box is a different name, too, down there. So, okay, the first time I went to Australia, I get, I'm at Sydney Airport, right? And I'm like, yeah. finally made it to frickin' Australia. I'm so excited. I love this place. And I'm walking through the uh, airport terminal. And the first restaurant I see is Subway. And the next restaurant I see is Hungry Jack's, <laughs> which is Jack in the Box. And the next restaurant I see, or, or Burger King. King. Burger King, yeah. Yep. The ne- and the next one I see is McDonald's. And I'm like, wait a minute. You just took a, I took a U-turn and landed at I, I landed LAX. at LAX, you know? And it's so funny because I never realized, like, how American fast food has proliferated the entire – oh, KFC, that was the other one. And it's like everything I have at home, I'm like, no, I wanted new stuff. And then you walk down and, you know, Sydney for Americans is sort of like the quintessential, you know, Australian picture, right? Yeah, you've it's got, Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so you've got, the, you've got the bridge and you've got the opera house. But when you walk around the shoreline, literally there are bars with like open windows and doors. And you know what they're watching? They're watching – the L.A. Lakers while wearing L.A. Dodger hats all over Sydney, and you're going, <laughs> what? you're like, you're watching my bas- you're watching our basketball, you're watching our baseball, you're wearing our baseball clothes, you're, you're eating at McDonald's and Burger King. You're it's like, hilarious. I, f- I flew twenty hours yeah, for, for this? nothing. Yeah. So I go, and, all, and all we gave you guys was Hugh Jackman and Apex Steakhouse. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. That's not. That's not all. You also gave us that. <laughs> Beer Fosters. <laughs> hey, to be fair, I had to come to America before I even saw that in real life. <laughs> it's funny when you ask a real Australian about uh, Foster's beer, they usually they just they punch you in the face like you're a Sheila. I think that's what happens. <laughs> don't ever offer a real Australian Foster's if you don't want to get punched. Let, let's go back to the Ute down there. When you start racing this Ute, what's the reaction like w- against you know you and your competition? What are they looking at you sideways, going really with that? Really? Uh, no, like it was, it was pretty cool. That's and that's I think part of the attraction to drifting as well is just the diversity as well. I mean, just look at Formula Drift today. You've got everything from uh, a Ferrari to a to a Dodge to a Chevrolet. Like you name it. There's not a, a manufacturer that's not represented. Yeah, but and they're not they're not miniature pickup trucks or hybrids thereof. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, well, sometimes you need to import someone from the side of the world that has a, a screw loose. I think that's a, that's a good idea. <laughs> Again, this is why we can be friends. Exactly. Yeah, hey, <laughs> how does this I, – something I don't understand. We often hear of uh, in the aftermarket, in the automotive aftermarket with selling parts and stuff, that Australians have a really tough time modifying vehicles down there because the laws are so well, much different. Lift heights are different. Li- things, things like that. But that. how does that, Josh, intersect with racing? Like – you can do anything you want racing as long as it's not on the roads or what are the laws? And I'm sure that you've heard like 
all the things that are happening here with, with emissions and, and things like that. Yeah, What's it like down there? How does it work? Uh, you are right. Depending on where you live, it can be quite restrictive. Uh, where I grew up on the West Coast, we didn't have annual inspections and things like that. Whereas on the East Coast, uh, in Victoria and New South Wales, they do have that and it is a lot stricter. Uh, whereas Queensland and Western Australia are kind of like Australia's version of Texas in a lot of regards. So it's a little bit more wild westy. Uh, but yeah, like um, uh, the the race cars out there are every bit as crazy as the ones that are out here. I'm sure you've seen some of our events like Summonats and the burnout cars and things like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, the guys are just as passionate as anywhere else in the world to go out and, and build crazy stuff. Um, so yeah, it, it's interesting to see what's happening over here. And definitely my friends back home are highly amused at the fact that I drive a, a Jeep on 37-inch tires on the street in America, and that doesn't... <laughs> you you like, and me no, both. No one, yeah, no one, yeah, no one bats an eyelid. And, well, it's, and it's the same with my F-truck as well. Uh, like, that's on 37s, and I tow a 40-foot trailer with it, and that's, like, part of the course over here, whereas, like, <laughs> you get put in prison if you did that back home. <laughs> <laughs> why, why is that, though? I don't understand the law. What is it... What, what do they have against 37-inch well, tall it is tires? Well, it is a different country, Lightning, so... No, I, I get that, but, culture. like, is it they don't... Because they have so many <laughs> subcompacts that they don't want to be rear-ended, and I, I don't know. What's the reason for yeah, it? Yeah, that's, that's a big part of it, for sure. Like, Australia is very safe, uh, despite what National Geographic would tell you, <laughs> that, that everything wants to eat you. Uh, they are very... Especially safe. the rhinos. And, and, <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> yeah, hold on. Very smooth. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah, I'll be here all night. Tip your waitress. Try the veal. <laughs> are the two sides? Are the are the two? You said Queensland and so the east and the west. They're fighting. Like if if you if you live on the east coast, I don't know which one you said was more conservative and which one was crazy. But Texas if, is the west coast. Yeah, that's the west coast. So if you're on if you're in the east coast and you really love racing, do you move to the west coast? No, because I mean, on like racing's racing, right? And it's not like Western Australia is that more relaxed. There's just you can get away with it a little bit more because they don't have annual inspections. Whereas in the two uh, most populous states, which is New South Wales, which is where Sydney is, and Victoria, which is where Melbourne is, they have uh, annual vehicle inspections for road-going cars. So they'll check things like window tint darkness and decibels on the exhaust and like all the things that car guys want to do. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so unless you find a, a favorable inspector that you can somehow keep See, on side there's so much like uh, us down there yeah. i'm telling you australians <laughs> are brothers from another mother 100 percent. but i mean you guys have a pretty tough time in california as well so yeah uh, yeah it's the toughest I, we do. When, when i explain america to people in australia i'm like look California is kind of like the rest of the world, and the rest of America wants nothing to do with it. <laughs> that's, that's probably true. All right, well, tell us about your Jeep on 37s, because I'm a Jeep guy. I've got a Jeep on 37s, and uh, let's. Uh, I, I'm curious about your build. And have you drifted it? Uh, I have a couple of times in the wet and on gravel, but I wouldn't yes. recommend it. <laughs> I knew the answer would be I know, yes. I knew it was going to be yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to give it a shot once, right? Uh, definitely the center of gravity is not favorable and probably don't try that at home. Uh, <laughs> so I bought that last year as a, a fun project during max quarantine pandemic lockdown uh, from the damaged vehicle auctions. Oh, that was your right. pandemic puppy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so did you buy this thing through Copart or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. I scooped it for like, I want to say it was about seven grand. Nice. Well, hold on. So that so, is major damage. <laughs> yeah. What what happened to it? No, it wasn't that bad at all. So 
I managed to get it. Uh, the front axle was bent. Oh yeah, that happens. And apart from that, like everything was pretty. Oh sorry, and the the passenger door on uh, on the front was dented. Yeah, just take it, it off. A, well, yeah, I ended up finding one at a local wrecking yard for like 150 bucks. <laughs> nice. And yeah, there you go. The, the front axle, uh, I found a Dana 44 Ultimate on Facebook Marketplace for like 1500 bucks. There you go. Look at uh, that. And, that, and that fixed that, and we're in business. And then how uh, much uh, Duralast help did you have on that thing? <laughs> so here's the thing, right? When I first bought it, I was like, oh, man, this would be totally fine. Like, I'll, I'll fix these couple of things, and then it will they be all all glory from here, and then the first time I drove it, oh look, the alternator light came on. And oh look, <laughs> <laughs> now it needs a front axle. Oh look. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the the first couple of days it was fine, and now it's become a great content machine because uh, maybe it's just my one, maybe it's just Dodge Chrysler products. I'm not sure, but uh, every time that thing leaves the leaves the house, it needs to have the all data software run across it to find out what today's check engine light is for. And so now it's uh, it's very much probably a nine percent Duralast built vehicle. So you know what happens now? Every time Josh leaves the house, he has to make a wide loop past AutoZone just, just in case. In case. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Just so when it Believe starts me, sputtering, they, he can. They, they know my phone number now when I call. <laughs> they don't even answer. Hello, AutoZone. See, like, listen. What what, now, what I'm hearing from Josh <laughs> is that if you have a shell of a Jeep, mm-hmm. uh, you can build the rest of it from AutoZone. I don't think yeah, he's saying that exactly. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that's what he's saying. I mean, even last week, so we were out in the mountains in Colorado, and uh, we had an issue with it overheating, and so we took it into a car park and got the front end raised and cracked a small bleed nipple on the thermostat housing, which then, because it's 130,000 miles old, decided to uh, be no more. And so fortunately, we had a, a backup truck with us, and one of the guys – Ran down the hill real quick to the auto zone at the bottom of the, the hill near Denver, and we managed to grab a, a replacement thermostat housing real quick and ran it back up. Got it uh, changed out in the in the high school car park, and got the system bled and, and got it out on the trail. So yeah, very much so. They save us all the time from, as I said, the alternator right through to the thermostat housing. And the thing is, I've always had such good success with their products as well. Uh, I'm I'm struggling to think of a time. In fact, I know the only time we've ever bought one of their products was, and this is one that I definitely wouldn't recommend trying. So uh, when we go out ice drifting on the frozen lakes in uh, Minnesota, we go out there each year and we take the the Texas Drift Academy cars out there. We load them all into a big trailer and haul them across the country. And we have people flying from all over the country and all over the world. And they get to drive these cars on a frozen lake. It gets down to about minus 40 degrees. That sounds that, awesome. That's nothing. Psh, awesome. It's, if it's, it's not minus fifty, it's car. it's warm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, the the only time we had a failure was when our students launched one of the cars about forty foot in the air uh, and parked it in a snowbank, and we broke an engine mount. Lawn dart. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> snow so dart. Snow not, dart. So long as you're trying to do that, uh, we've had amazing success with everything else from. Our thousand horsepower plus Formula Drift builds right through to uh, the Jeep going through Colorado. We did uh, Black Bear Pass with it last week, and that was amazing. The five thousand foot drop-offs, and it's just so cool to go out and see the other parts of the U.S. that I don't get to see when we are competing the Formula Drift series because that's just from racetrack to racetrack, and you always see these cool things out of the plane window or 
out of the the side of the truck when you're on the highway but it's definitely cool to get out there and and see the the diversity that you have in this country is just phenomenal you brought up texas uh drift academy how are you involved in that organization uh so i started that almost four years ago so i needed to uh to build some cars to get testing and, and practice in between formula drift rounds and so, uh, again, just picked up a, a couple of cars from the damaged vehicle auctions, got them back on the on the road, and it all kind of started from there. I had the a couple of cars sitting around, and then I was like, well, when we're not driving them, we should teach some friends how to drift. And so we started off doing that, and then friends wanted their friends to come in, and then other drivers wanted to come in, and now we have drivers from just about every category of racing uh, all over the world come in and learn how to drift with us. So it's kind of spiraled into quite a cool little gig i want to do that no like so is it open to the public or can, can lightning and i race each other and see who's the better drifter with zero uh, instruction i would do that my my kid though on in all honesty two nights ago asked me if there's a school about this and i was unaware of texas uh drift academy so is it the type of thing uh, obviously i'm guessing you have people flying from all over the country or maybe the world yeah absolutely uh and we had a, a 12 year old kid on the weekend we spent the first 15 minutes teaching him how to drive stick and then he was out there all day just ripping around. Had Good for him. Can you run us through, what, is it, what does it cost? Uh, at the Drift Academy, it's much more competitive than in the Pro Series, that's for sure. Uh, so for the Drift Academy, it starts from just shy of $400 for an hour. It's about $385 for an hour. Uh, and you can go right through to a full-on uh, one-on-one tuition, private track, private instructor, your own car. And that's around $2,000 for the day. So it's pretty damn competitive when it comes to full-blown motorsport wow two grand for a day i mean do you have longer courses like entire weekend courses things like that yeah absolutely uh we do have people come in pretty often and they'll do a, a saturday sunday or a friday saturday or, or whatever they like and what am i learning like when i come in we start off by doing a, a basic handbrake entry and then from there we go into uh donuts and then figure of eights and then we do high speed entries fate entries and second gear entries third gear entries and we just keep on progressing as fast as you do so if you get it down the first 20 minutes and you're like what else have you got then we'll keep on throwing stuff at you and keep on teaching you all facets of getting a car sideways and being in control all right uh on to the uh, the more pressing uh question that i have for you <laughs> what on earth are you doing with an ls based V12 that you're trying to shove into an old Datsun 510 mini truck. <laughs> well, it seems to bring a little bit of Australia to America, or in fact, a bit of Japan and America to America. My, my favorite post, so I, I, I stalked your page. So if you want to check out Josh's page, it's uh, at Josh Robinson 530 on Instagram. And he's got all sorts of stuff. You can see uh, his Duralast sponsored cars. You can see the, uh, the JK four door. Uh, you can see some cool Drift Academy stuff, some ice drifting. But my favorite is it shows this old, you know, Datsun 510, uh, uh, I guess it would be a ute, right? It looks like an Australian version of whatever that is. And it says, who still thinks we aren't doing this? And it's him, uh, <laughs> right-hand drive with his head out the, the window and them trying to stick a, a V12 is being angled into a, a engine compartment that's much too short for it. <laughs> uh, she'll be right. We'll make we'll, 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 away. <laughs> I mean, is this really happening? Are you going to do something with or that? Or is this just posed for that photo? No, no, we're definitely doing it. Uh, we're well, doing how? The, the it's not going to fit. You know that, right? <laughs> He's going <laughs> to... It's... 
going to be maybe if well, they, are you if if you cut right down the the fender the fi- and no no the, the fire whole front no, out, the firewall cut a no. gi- cut the firewall take a huge chunk out of the middle like a third out of the middle it you'd might have fit to, in no you'd have to remove the windshield because it's too tall so you have to go you have to extend the front of the car out what if you so made you, it an eleven cylinder you just didn't put a uh, a piston in the in right. the rear driver side because that could be your cup holder that's how far back the freaking engine is going to be in this thing you could cut it right in front of the uh, the shock towers and scoot the whole front out. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely going to be uh, doing a tube chassis for it. We've already started on that. So that will give us a lot more space. Also, if you've ever seen a picture of my Formula Drift Ute, yes. we put the radiators and everything in the back. So we're going to be doing that on this as well. So there's not going to be a radiator in the front. Or yeah, you're not like putting that. a cooling stack in front of that thing. There's, there's no way. Yeah, oh, dude, hold on. I just found the photo right here, Holman. Look, they did get it in there. Oh, yeah, there Holy you go. Holy crap. You, <laughs> you, and they cut the front of the car off, just like I said. Uh-huh, just like you said. I'm glad they were taking your advice to I, do that. I'm saying. <laughs> well, the good thing is as well that Duralast actually makes different types of accessories for different model LS engines. So the ones off the uh, Corvette are obviously very shallow profile so by running those accessories that gives us the the slimmest profile possible so that we don't need to cheat too much and stretch fenders and do things like that so that's a a big benefit as well you posted a photo on july 2nd and it says Take the helm, our matey, R33 Skyline. (laughs) Now, hold on a second. Ship's (laughs) wheel? Now, why do you have a Skyline with a ship's wheel from an old, from from a pirate ship? And it looks like it's only maybe 12 inches in diameter, maybe smaller. And it's actually connected to the vehicle. Now, what I like better is on just to the right of the, uh, what do you call the hoon handle, on the glove box, there's a sticker in the shape of a stop sign, but it says, don't suck. Yeah. <laughs> all, all this one is in one photo. Well, you know, it's funny because uh, just like two or three episodes ago, we had the guy making billet steering wheels, and now we got the guy who's uh, <laughs> sawing back on a, a wooden one. So we don't discriminate here on the uh, Truck Show Podcast. Did, did it work? Did you use it? Did you drive it? Yeah, yeah, it works. It was just as a novelty thing during uh, Drift Week. A guy named Fielding built it, and yeah, like it, it can be driven like that for sure. I would thoroughly recommend not crashing or trying to put your hand anywhere near it while the car is transitioning from left to right. (laughs) (laughs) Ow. Otherwise, you're going to get a very aggressive slap on the back of your knuckles. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's a knuckle buster for sure. Well, man, this is uh, this is pretty awesome. If uh, Again, if you want to follow Josh, Josh Robinson, 530 on Instagram, and also um, at Texas underscore Drift underscore Academy, at Texas Drift Academy, there's a lot of great stuff. I mean, listen – we're all car guys, even though we're truck guys here. So there's a lot of content and cool stuff to appreciate. And uh, I-, I can't wait to see what happens with the Datsun Ute because that thing is just, I mean, it's stupid. It's so rad. It's stupid. Yeah, thanks so much. We're really looking forward to to getting that thing finished. I'm sure it'll be an absolute riot. I, mean, I think putting a, a V12 or, in fact, a, a twin supercharged V12 LS making 2,000 horsepower into a little <laughs> Datsun pickup is... Uh, yeah, something that should be a good time. What is <laughs> wh- what is the power to weight ratio? A million to one? I mean, what? <laughs> I mean, we're shooting for around two thousand horsepower. Oh so. my gosh! And what does it weigh? It can't. It's got to be fifteen hundred pounds or something with a tube chassis. So it far exceeds like a uh, a ninja or any any super bike I can think of. You know, I mean, it's that power to weight ratio is going to be bonkers. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think the the biggest issue is you have to have the the cojones to to keep it flat. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we know you have cojones because you've got a, a video on your Instagram of you in the Alamo City uh, Police Department uh, doing a uh, burnout in their charger as you pull away from the camera. <laughs> but you're in the front seat. You're not in the back seat. How did that work out for you? <laughs> Uh, yeah, there are a good bunch of guys down there. We're getting longer. <laughs> yeah, one of the officers said, "Hey, uh, I'm due for some new rubber. Can you uh, can you make these ones die heroes?" <laughs> hey, Josh, if you're doing Formula Drift and drifting in, in Texas uh, Drift Drift Academy full time, what are you doing in your part time? Like, are you what fills the other hours? Honestly, I've really been enjoying getting to off-roading a lot, as I kind of touched on earlier on. Uh, for me, the biggest part I've been in the U.S. Uh, for four years now and the biggest thing for me is that like uh, for example i've been to atlanta five times but i've only ever been to the racetrack because we go straight to the track and then we go to the next track and that's it and so i keep on seeing like as you drive through utah and colorado and up the pacific northwest like just such incredible mountain ranges and stuff to see that are off the beaten track and so for me, uh, it was kind of a point last year and this year was to get the, the Jeep built and then go out and see some of this cool stuff that I just never got time to, to go and do and see. And so that for me has been a, a really big part of my push for this year. So that's been my downtime is wrenching on the Jeep and going out and, and seeing this crazy close. So Holman uh, has been to quite a few off-road locations. Holman, if you had to give him three, the top three. He already mentioned one of them. Which one? Black Bear? Black Bear? Yeah, San Juan Mount- Mountains in Colorado is one of my favorites. In fact, probably by the time you hear this podcast, I would have just been there again because I'm going back out there. Uh, Moab, Utah, obviously, is is huge for Mecca. And then one of the places that I, I really like because of uh, – I like – so, Josh, I'm a big uh, off-road guy. I've got a, a JL on 37s myself and – had a JK oh, on 37s myself uh, as my previous vehicle, <laughs> and I've got a 1942, yeah, Ford GPW, <laughs> and that's on 30s. So there you go. That, that's, that's my that's my old one. I like mixing not only the scenery, but I like the history. So I like going to really cool off road locations that's going to take you off the beaten path and make you appreciate kind of maybe what life was like before technology and before society and all that. And I got to say, some of my favorite places are uh, the Eastern Mojave, either the Mojave Road in Southern California or the Eastern Mojave Heritage Trail. Uh, but also Death Valley because there's so much to see and do, so many trails, so many ways to get lost and, and be away from people, which is you know, ultimately my goal is to be as far away from people as possible for a couple of days and go, yeah, this is all right. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely see the appeal on that for sure. <laughs> and, and that for me as well is like one of the things that really blew me away uh, when I first came to the U.S. because you have like 320 million people here, whereas in all of Australia we have around 27 million which is less than the population of Texas. And by landmass, the U.S. is only about 10% larger than Australia. And so what I'm getting at is like you have a lot of people here. Whereas, a lot of people. In, in, whereas in Australia, we, like, we have almost as much land and less than a tenth of the population. So over there, it's very easy to get lost and not see anyone for but- days, whereas when I'm driving down the highway here at 3 o'clock in the morning on the, on the interstate, you go past like 200 trucks a minute, but it's just there's so many people and there's always so much going on. So I can definitely see the appeal for you to get off the beaten track for a, for a couple of days and get back to nature. Well, two, two things I'll say is uh, one is it's way easier to come to the U.S. and stay than it is to go to Australia and stay. And that's probably part of why you guys don't have as many people. 
and <laughs> there's not as many things trying to kill you here as there are in Australia. And uh, <laughs> you, you have listen. I've seen I've seen the videos on TikTok with the uh, the kangaroo trying to take the dude's dog, and they're getting into a, like a, a fist fight. I've seen that. All right, you got you got. Yeah, some, to be fair, that that's happened on my dad's farm before as well. That that can happen. The uh, kangaroos don't take any. Shit. <laughs> uh, but I've watched uh, I've watched Parker Schnabel's uh, Australian Gold Rush Adventure, and uh, I've I've seen you know. Yeah, you got a lot of land, but there's a lot of places in Australia that are pretty inhospitable. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, in Australia, I think something like 80% of the population live on the coast, whereas in the U.S., uh, you guys just build casinos. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's how we get all those coastal people inland so we have less traffic. We'll We'll even build them on the water. Yeah, you still luckily can get away here in the U.S. You you can drive, you know, especially in the West. It's harder in the East because it's definitely east of the Mississippi, way more populated, a lot harder. And you don't have out west. We have a lot of federal land, like BLM land, so you can get out, uh, especially in California, Nevada, Arizona. You but start I was getting, in places like Pennsylvania. What I was stunned that there are still easy, relatively easy ways to to get away from the population. Yeah, but a lot more private property. So you have to know where you are and, and pay attention to that. Where <laughs> screw private property? <laughs> okay, until Bubba comes out with the twelve <laughs> yeah, gauge. Exactly. <laughs> it reminds I think me of the same a, in Texas as well. Like uh, there's some crazy amount of I think it's ninety five percent or something absurd like that uh, of land is privately owned. Yeah. So when you go to Texas, Montana. Idaho, Wyoming, you get less and less public lands to recreate on. And yeah, they're wide open, but a lot of them are ranches and used for you know grazing and cattle and all that kind of stuff. So we're actually really, as much as there is to bash on California, we're actually pretty lucky because there's some, the scenery in this state is unbelievable. And there's there, there's a lot of places to go and, and discover and, and get lost. And So visit, don't live here. Yeah, I like is that. what he's saying. <laughs> that's what Holman's saying. Yeah, that, that's fair. Where, where would you recommend I go wheeling in Utah? Oh man, there's so many places. Um, the um, San Rafael Swell is unbelievable. Sweet. It's uh, also the um, uh, Moab area for sure. If you want, uh, shoot me a note after the show, and I can all uh, maybe we talk an email. I can send you some GPX files of some places that will blow your mind in Utah that you can go and cover a lot of ground. Oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah, I had such a good time uh, in Colorado. That I can't wait to get back out there for sure. It's, and obviously, it is different. Like where, I, where I'm in Texas, I'm in Central Texas. There's no hills. <laughs> yeah, little, little little different in Central Texas. But yeah, so Utah is amazing because it's totally different than Colorado, but they're right next door to each other. And the only thing about Utah wheeling is there's a lot of uh, great places to wheel, but you've got the Colorado River running right through, and there's not really any places to uh, cross until you get up to like Moab. So you can start down in Arizona and work your way up to Moab on the western side of the Colorado River and go through some, you know, Escalante is another place that's that's incredible, worthwhile. So you just kind of have to plan your route and know where you want to end up. But yeah, Utah, um, especially uh, eastern, southern Utah, just, I, I mean, some of, they call it God's country for a reason. It's some of the most amazing uh, scenery out of a painting that you've ever seen in person. So if you haven't been there, highly recommend, but I'm happy to point you in some in the direction of some places. Rent a boat and go to Lake Powell as well if you can. That's uh, too low right now. Oh, is it really? You just run aground. <laughs> no, it's not that low. It's pretty low. Do you have any sand dunes in uh, Australia? Yeah, we do in my hometown for sure. The Lancelot sand dunes are about an hour north of Perth. But uh, like we went out sandboarding there and things like that, but we don't have the insane rigs that you guys have. Like when I first touched down in the U.S., I spent a, 
a fair bit of time in California and seeing the sand rails and things like that. And it's not like there's just one or two of them. There's like they're on every street corner. It feels like it's just uh, it's, it's insane the toys you guys have here and the sheer volume of them because you've you've got the population and everyone has a sense of adventure. Did you get a chance to get out to Glamis? No, I've never been there. And oh, I really, you gotta go really there because Glamis is weird. Um, and I know that there are a lot of there are sand dunes in Idaho and places like that. But <laughs> if I blindfolded you and I dropped you from a helicopter, like in amazing middle, race, you know, in in this in it into a Glamis, and then you took your blindfold get off, home. you'd cry. <laughs> you, you'd cry literally you'd yeah. think uh, they left me in the sahara right because it's what 18 miles wide and six miles deep and and they're 30 stories tall yeah. like you're it, just sitting there going well that's how it ends that's how I'm, I'm gonna die right here yeah it's crazy and you could hike to the top of one and they just go forever it's the craziest wildest thing all right so since this is the truck show podcast and you are a uh, clearly now an honorary american um, after four years, <laughs> yeah, after four years, okay. Uh, and you you did say that you had a uh, an F series truck, but w- is there is there a truck here in the U.S. that appeals to you? Is it the one you have? Is there something that you want that you have your eye on? And and what's it like coming from the types of vehicles in Australia to actually being able to drive a, a big old heavy duty truck here in the U.S.? So to put it into the comparison for you, the biggest like uh, consumer type of pickup truck in Australia is probably a Toyota Hilux, which is about, oh, in fact, it's a bit smaller than your Toyota Tacoma. Yeah, yep. So do you guys call that a half ton or a quarter ton or something like that? Those are, well, they're, they're more, because the tonnage has changed over the years, you used to be, be able to get one of those. They used to be Hiluxes, rebadged just Toyota truck here, and then you could get a one-ton version of it. So we typically just call those mid-sized trucks here, and then it goes half ton, and then anything three-quarter and above is a heavy duty. Yeah, the largest thing we have is like a Ford Ranger or uh, the the small old version of the Toyota Tacoma, not the new beastie ones that you've got running around. So you do so, that, but you've got some Chevy twenty five hundred HDs down there. I know because I sell some parts to guys down there. They're not plentiful, but they're, they're they oh, are there. Super super rare. Like I doubt I've ever seen one. Really? What do you think's more yeah, down there? More a McLaren or a uh, Duramax uh, Chevy pickup? What would be what would draw more eyes if it went driving by in Australia? Ooh. I mean, it, you'd be more likely to see a McLaren than you would <laughs> anything like that. But they only just started getting Dodge Rams, like a the fifteen hundred, I think. Yep, yep. I don't think they have the twenty five hundred. So you you can get say a Ford F two fifty in Australia, but we have this thing called luxury car tax, which is yeah. about thirty percent on anything over. Eighty thousand Australian dollars, which Oof. is, which is say sixty thousand US dollars, which is pretty so, much anything you'd want in that class of truck. Yeah, but on top of that, you then need to get the thing from the US to Australia, and you have to convert it to right-hand drive. Oh, so, you have to convert it to right-hand drive what? also. Well, it can't be yeah, left. Yeah, yes, and, and then you have to pay your thirty percent luxury car tax on top of that, and ten percent GST. <laughs> Plus, plus, plus. Oh, so, now I know why Australians have tray beds. It's because they're trying to take pieces of the truck off to make it less, worth less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, if you had something... Okay, so I, I just sold... <laughs> I just sold my 2012 Ford F250 uh, here in Texas. It was like a, a long bed, 6.7 power stroke diesel. It had 300,000 miles on it, and I sold that for... 20 grand us yeah that's about right if I, if I if i had that in australia 
even with 300,000 miles on it and all those things, that would probably still fetch 100,000. <laughs> oh, my oh gosh. Oh, my God. Dude, that's yeah, awesome. buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wait, hold on, wait. He's got, he had a yeah, buddy. He did have a yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. There we go. Well, we we got to steal his yeah, buddy and incorporate it into the show now. Hold on. I got, got Emmy following up. Yeah, buddy. There we go. So, Josh, you don't know that uh, Yeah Buddy is a, is a uh, through line in our show. So whenever we have a guest or a friend uh, say Yeah Buddy, we usually steal their voice and use it in perpetuity Oh, yeah. We, we, we've got <laughs> Yeah Buddy. Hashtag Yeah Buddy. Yeah Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I didn't sign any release forms, boys. So I did <laughs> All right, man. Well, this has been awesome. Uh, we, we'd love to chat with you again. And uh, I want to go race lightning at the Texas Drift Academy. You you owe him uh, some coordinates. Yeah. I so so uh, I'll get your uh, email when we're off the podcast, and then uh, we can trade emails. But I've, I can point you in the right direction for some pretty epic uh, Utah scenery for you. Heck yeah, I'd love that. And I'm really going to there and, and see uh, that part of the world. I'm going to reach out to your staff at Texas uh, Drift Academy because I'm going to sign up my kid. And uh, now Holman, if you want to make a a deal out of this. Oh, like the welding deal that never happened? Maybe like that. Okay. If not, in. if not, then I'm going to go with the kid. All right. Deal. All right. So, uh, hey, if you guys want to come out and face off against each other, we'd love to have you out. Oh, That'd we'd love it. Time. I'm down. Let's do it. I think that would be awesome. If I can kill two birds with one stone, I can race you. You're not you. supposed to kill anybody, actually. I'm going to kill two <laughs> birds with a stone. I- I'm down. Yeah, I'm down, do too. It? Should we? It starts cooling off in what we should do in like October, November. What about yeah, like probably. right after SEMA? What about mid-November? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and we have cool shirts and stuff for all of our guests and stuff. So even if it's hot, it's not too bad. Okay. All right. Well, let's uh, let's stay in touch. Maybe uh, maybe we have a friendly uh, wager, uh, Lightning and I, uh, out at the uh, Texas Drift Academy. Heck yeah, that'd be a good time. We'd love to have you guys up. Awesome. All right, I like it. All right, Josh. Thank you so much for spending time with us. We uh, we do appreciate it. Thanks, Jens. It was a bunch of fun. Good yeah. Good Again, day. if you guys uh, want to follow uh, Josh Robinson, it's uh, at Josh Robinson 530, one word on Instagram. What's the 530? His racing number. I just want to know where it came from. Maybe it's five foot three. <laughs> I, I've seen his so, picture. He's so taller. The, the number came from. <laughs> The number came from back in the day. Five thirty was what time I finished work. I got to go and work on cars. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant! Yeah, I like that. Brilliant. That that's up there with Finnegan's race number too. Yep. That's that's for sure up there with Finnegan's race number. So, oh, do you, well, uh, what's the story be, with his? Because well, uh, his is nine his nine, is nine, nine nine nine. Because if he ever rolls it over, it'll be six six six. All right, Josh, that's you're the man. Way. Yeah, appreciate it, man. I'll I'll, uh, I'll shoot you a note with uh, my contact info, and we can go from there. Thanks, Jens. All right, brother. Right. Have Talk a good night. Thanks. Thanks. Holman, imagine how much cooler you and I would sound if we had Australian accents. We should do the uh, the outro in Australian voices. <laughs> okay, I dare you. The truck show. Mate. The truck show. Mate. The truck show. Whoa, whoa. Pretty good, huh? You can't just say mate. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I'm not even saying it right. It's like mate. <laughs> no, now you sound like an ass. Mate. I don't know. You know, my son does it really well. It's Australian for trucks. Oh, I like that. A ute, right? Yeah. Do it again. It's Australian for trucks. Oh, that's not bad, actually. Can you do, uh, can we talk about Nissan? Uh, Can you talk about Nissan? Not in Australian voice, I can't. No, I'm not doing that. No, just try it. No, because they're going to be like, this dude's a douche. Yeah, I don't want to cause an international incident (laughs) over the end of our show. (laughs) 
podcast host gets great yeah. third world yeah. war. Right, dude. I want to go to Australia. They'll be like, "Oh, you were mocking our voices down here." Uh huh. No, I love Australia. You know that. Yeah, we both do. If I could uh, be on any other country uh, on earth or born in another place, I would choose Australia. Is that true? Yeah. Is that because it's so much like here? I think so. <laughs> so still, they're, they're, oh, my, they're my people. Do they have barbecue? They got mad good barbecue. Well, down then there. that's why Holman wants to go to Australia. You know what's weird is uh, they also have really good uh, Italian food. No you, Mexican food, though. Dude, I was listening to NPR no, yesterday no, we're not morning. Doing this again. No, listen. And they're doing. Why do you do that to go, yourself? They're going into like. And, and tonight on uh, Press Play or All Things Considered or whatever their god awful afternoon shows. You just named two shows. That's more. That's two more shows that I even know about. And listen, they're like, they're like we're going to tell you the best barbecue. I'm like, what do you know about barbecue? Did they read the same press release we did? I'm like, what do you know about freaking barbecue? Really? Uh huh. <laughs> Come on. Shrimp on the bobby. <laughs> oh, no. No? Oh. That's funny. It's not funny. It's sad. It's sad. Well, if you want to uh, connect with us on social and see uh, how many Australians uh, defriend us, you can go to at LBC Lightning. No, is that the same at as Sean P. Holman, <laughs> at Truck Show Podcast, uh, or leave us an email, truckshowpodcast at gmail.com, and uh, we want to hear from you. Be on the show. And please do leave us a five-star review on the Apple Podcast app. That's the one that matters the most. Hey, we'd love to hear from you guys. Please leave us a voicemail on our five-star hotline, 657-205-6105. Five-star. Five-star. Hotline. 657-205-6105. All right. Thanks, Nissan, for uh, putting up with us for yet another episode. Episode 187 is uh, in the books. If you're in the market for a half-ton or half-ton Plus, truck, head over to NissanUSA.com where you can build and price the Nissan Titan or Nissan Titan XD. And it's getting close. You'll be able to check out the 2022 Nissan Frontier. Full new redesign. Awesome little pickup truck. I put my uh, my stamp of approval on that. Also uh, at NissanUSA.com. I think if you guys are uh, looking for a midsize truck, you'll be really impressed with how good the Nissan Frontier is. But if you just absolutely refuse to get rid of your old truck, then you're going to need parts to keep it on the road. And for that, you go to our friends at Duralast Parts. That's right. Duralast starters and alternators are triple tested at the component, subassembly, and finished unit levels to ensure OE or better amperage and torque output. Did you know that uh, all wear components are replaced with new as well as new subassemblies where the original no. No- <laughs> <laughs> no longer meet OE performance levels? Oh, no. No, I didn't know. Duralast <laughs> remanufactured uh, starters and alternators are remanufactured by Tier 1 or OE manufacturers for OE or better performance levels versus the rebuilt ones, which are just torn down, inspected, <gasps> and cleaned. No. no. But if you want brand new parts, check out the Duralast Gold Line with 100% new units available. For more information, head over to DuralastParts.com or visit your local AutoZone like our friend... Josh did <laughs> many times throughout the country. And as soon as your Duralast parts are installed and your truck is ready for an off-road adventure, that's when you download Onyx Maps. When I'm out exploring, I love using Onyx Maps. In fact, uh, I use it all the time on both my iPhone, on my iPad mini, and on my laptop because Onyx Maps is across all devices. A change on one changes everything on your account. Onyx is an off-road GPS tool that allows users to adventure to new places with over 550,000 miles of roads and trails, 985 million acres of public land across the U.S., and you can even see your current location on the map even when you don't have cell service. Premium membership is $29.99 a year for the entire country. Come on, guys, that's less than one tank of gas. And you can step up to Elite, which offers all the trails and detailed maps, plus 
private land ownership info for all 50 states, only $99.99 a year. And if you want to try it out for free, Onyx offers a seven-day trial, and they don't even ask for your credit card. OnyxMaps.com. Holman, in your Jeep, you've got Onyx Maps loaded. I know it because I've seen it on the iPad Mini, but what shocks are you running? Well, I run uh, Bill Steins both on that, and I'm going to get a set of uh, Bill Steins from my old uh, 42 GPW as well. That seems overkill, don't you think? Uh, no, I had it on my 51 Willys. I had Bill Steins. I had four CJ5 shocks because I found out with a set of uh, Deaver lift springs, they were the perfect extended and collapse length, mm-hmm. and they rode awesome and worked out well. So I'm going to do that exact same suspension setup on, uh, on my old flatty that I have now. Uh, I'm a big fan of Bilstein. You should be a big fan of Bilstein, too, especially if you've got a Toyota because they now offer their new line of upper control arms for the Toyota Tacoma. And if you're looking for an awesome 2.5-inch shock class, uh, big body shock for your Jeep Wrangler JL or JT, you'll want to check out Bilstein's 8100 series. It's a direct fit bypass or smooth body shock. It's on sale at Bilstein.com where uh, you can also check out their large catalog. It's not just large. It will blow you away how many applications they have. You'll go like, what? And then you'll go, what? Yeah. And then you'll go, huh? Oh, yeah, like that. I was going to yeah, say, yeah, what yeah, are you yeah, yeah. like, huh, huh? Uh, yeah, Billstein has a, an extensive catalog, and you would be surprised how many different applications for different vehicles. But it's weird because they just, they, they're like an upstart. How did they get so many? <laughs> yeah. And they just started like a couple of years right. ago, now, right? Uh, how about 1873 <laughs> is, when they, is when they started. <laughs> Hey, if you guys are looking for the best shocks out there for your truck, you can trust uh, the same brand that Nissan, Ram, and Ford all trust with their vehicles, Bilstein Shocks. And you'll find everything at Bilstein.com. Thank God your guests were great because you guys were awful. I mean, you were worse than awful. Your performance is worthy of an Academy Award for badness. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess uh, some awards better than no award. I, I Sadly. <laughs> The Truck Show Podcast is a production of Motor Trend Group. This podcast was created and produced by Sean Holman and Jay Tillis with production elements by DJ Omar Khan. If you like what you've heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating. And if you're a fan of the Truck Show Podcast, we encourage you to visit and patronize our sponsors. Yeah. Yeah. me one more time. <laughs> <laughs>